Bonjour. Bonjour. And welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. This is one of our classic album series podcasts, the first free part of a double podcast that we will be giving away this part for free. And the second part you can listen to over on patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast, where lots of our exclusive content goes up. My name's Stephen Hill, by the way, and I'm joined by Renfrey Deadman as ever. How are you, Renfrey? You all right? Hello. Yes, I'm very, very good, Steve. How are you doing? doing very well mate i'm doing very very well i just want to say before we go any further um thanks for your patience on this special now there are many reasons that we've gone into both um online and on the show telling you why we've been a little bit late with this double gajira special from our um our, our, our usually we're, we're quite prompt with giving our special uh classic albums away but it's been a bit of a bit of a kind of plate spinning week or so over at riot act towers well we've, so we've launched we are going out we've launched a whole new podcast i mean it's been pretty crazy yeah. and uh things had it's to been... suffer unfortunately so yeah. it, it, they did yeah so this is going out a week later than it should have gone out it was meant to have it last week um it's not going to affect when your next classic album podcast goes out so if you are a patron over at patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast where you can listen to the second part of this and all our other podcasts on the likes of Guns N' Roses, Pink Floyd, Radiohead, Blur, System of a Down, Pixies, Foo Fighters, The Beatles, The Specials, uh, Seager Ross, Lamb of God, just some others quiet. as well, Meshuggah, <laughs> yeah, you're not helping me at all, uh, The Manic Street Preachers, there's loads, there's loads of good albums over there, we try and give you two classic albums every month for the quite a reasonable sum of five pounds so if you're listening to this one for free you want to hear the second part of this one and everything else five pound a month at patreon.com forward slash right act podcast today we're going to be talking about possibly france's greatest metal export ever it's them or alcest or trust isn't it basically yeah um i'm gonna give it yeah. to gajira Spoiler i'm alert. gonna give it to gajira <clears throat> for my money it's sort of a one horse race really yeah it's gajira um on I, the second I, part, I do love alcest though but yeah, Alcest are very good, yeah. You know. And Trust, that one song, I mean, you know, Anthrax don't cover any old band, do they? That's they true. They cover Antisocial, so, you know. That's true. A little bit of metal knowledge. Um, this is a two-part, as I mentioned, like I say, on the second part, you will be able to hear us talking about the band's uh, Magma album, which came out in 2016. <laughs> but this is part one on their fifth studio album, Le Fond Sauvage. Le Fond which is Sauvage. The Wild Child, that translates as, released on the 26th of June, 2012. Now, what we've done here is this is basically Renfrey's pick. Um, but when we do these doubles, what we tend to do is we give each other one each. So, Renfrey, you had Le Fon Sauvage down on your classic album list. I had a Gajira album on my list as well. But... What we've decided to do, guys, is we've decided to do Le Fon Sauvage and Magma because I think that story makes sense. And also, if you do listen to part two of Magma, we have a little bit of chat about their upcoming album, Fortitude, which just felt like a good bit of timing, right? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, a bit of an exclusive. Mm. I, can we say that? I don't know. We haven't had the chat yet. So, mate, but there might be an exclusive in there. Probably. There might be a little <laughs> bit of like, we might have a few spoilers about Fortitude coming on the second part, possibly, who knows. Um, it's, so certainly, thing is, it's certainly more interesting, I think, in lots of ways to do a double on Gajira focusing on a certain part of their career and the changes yeah. that occurred in that career uh, during that time. 
I mean, if we went from, you know, Terra Incognito to to Magma, that would feel like we were skipping out an awful lot of stuff, just giving away your your choice there. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, even even from your actual choice, it would be a bit of a hop, skip and a jump away from one another, I think. Well, look, you know, we are going to have to go back to Gojira one day, another time, because unbelievably, as you sort of mentioned, Renfrey, we aren't even covering my favourite album by the band mm. over the two albums that we've picked as classics here. So the early days of Gajira, which I think are fucking fascinating, incidentally, I think are really interesting. I've mentioned France and France's greatest metal export and all that kind of stuff. Um, there are loads and loads of things for us to talk about within that period, but we're not going to talk about that and we're not going to be focusing on that period during this two classic album series we are kind of going to skip the early days build up the progression of them as a band um but needless to say by 2012 gojira were a band that i think people were starting to expect quite big things from that's fair to say isn't it i think so yeah i think i think the lead up to this record um there was an awful lot of buzz around it It'd been four years since the way of all flesh I think uh, I'll probably get into this a little bit later, but I think whilst The Way of All Flesh, the highs on that album are absolutely extraordinary. There are a few <laughs> issues with that record, if we're honest. So, you know, the thought and the ex the excitement of a new Gajira record four years later, when maybe they'd learned from a few of those mistakes and they toured so extensively with The Way of yeah. All Flesh as well. So seeing how that manifests itself in the studio yeah there's a lot of excitement behind it um i i i bought the way of all flesh the day it came out in 2008 because as one day we will discuss the album previous to that it is just such a fucking great record and I, you know i think it's a really great record i mean i've got it on vinyl down here actually um and you know it's a it's a very it was a very well received record as well yeah and like you say i think the highs on it are absolutely exceptional there's a few songs on the way of all flesh that i think are as good as anything kajira have ever done in their entire career like it's amazing um it probably isn't one that we're going to be doing on a classic album i think personally you know i feel like you got to split hairs a bit with kajira because they are you know that the standards they set are exceptionally high and i think for a lot of bands the way of all flesh would probably be their best album it's a little bit long it's probably the one gajira album that i think maybe drags a little bit um but we are splitting hairs a bit but i think you know essentially gajira had pretty much positioned themselves as one of the most integral kind of i guess like the kind of post mastodon forward thinking heavy metal band because mm. that period of Gajira and Opeth and I guess Between the Buried and Me and Enslaved and those sort of bands like you know that kind of progressively minded metal was starting to become uh very very sizable and with mm. a four-year gap for a band of their size being quite an unusual amount of time for you know between fourth and fifth albums um for a band who hadn't really sort of rocketed into the stratosphere you know they're not metallica who can or the you know or uh avenge sevenfold or a band who can take a long time between albums they weren't that especially in 2012 um i, I really remember the anticipation for this record being incredibly high yeah yeah very much so um it was probably the first time i think it was probably between the way of all flesh and l'enfant sauvage which would have been my introduction to gajira really i was aware of them and i heard their name bandied around a lot and i was certainly very intrigued by what people were describing to me essentially as a death metal band 
but with like tools kind of more expansive mystical elements um and that to me just sounded amazing on paper i think in practice it was even better than i had imagined it mm. um but i think for me and the reason why i've chosen l'enfant sauvage it is the ultimate expression of gajira's music up to that point um just a few weeks up to up to this point in time i think it's the ultimate expression of what they've done up to this point just a few weeks before the release of their seventh album fortitude by the end of this episode whether you agree with me on that or not i hope to have at least made the case for why i consider l'enfant sauvage to be gajira's best album um but i want to start a couple of years before the record was released as I think there are some pretty interesting events uh, and non-events actually that lead up to L'Enfant Sauvage, its recording and its release. So I want to go back just a couple of years to July 2010. So we're smack bang in between The Way of All Flesh coming out and L'Enfant Sauvage coming out. And Gajira played the rock-orientated Ville Charles Festival in Brittany. Um, have you heard of this festival? I'm probably pronouncing it completely incorrectly, but are you aware of this festival, Steve? Uh, no, I'm certainly not the way you're pronouncing it. Go on. <laughs> well, I feel like we should be aware of it. I wasn't uh, because it's the largest music festival in France, attracting more than 200,000 attendees every year. Size wise, the only British comparison to those attendance numbers would be Glastonbury. It's mm. pretty much the same size as Glastonbury. So it's big. It's very, very big. And Gajira performing for an audience largely unaccustomed to metal music oh sounds a bit like glastonbury 10 years later um hmm. gojira's delicate mission was to close the evening of saturday on the glenmore stage described as more powerful than motorhead's concert in 2008 on the same stage the show began with the song lizard skin with an estimated crowd of between 40,000 and 50,000 people 20 minutes later between 4,000 and 5,000 participants remained Newspaper Le Telegram claimed that the show was of a rare sonic power, so brutal that the band lost 90% of the attendance along the way. The context never discouraged the band, who continued to perform as if their lives depended on it, with a drum solo executed with breathtaking majesty. Um, that part of the Wikipedia article concludes, since Gajira's concert, metal has been gradually ex excluded from the Ville Charles Festival. Uh, I don't know if they ever booked all that much metal in the first place, to be honest, but I can confirm that since 2011, the only metal bands they've booked have been Rammstein and Scorpions. So that seems to play out at least in part. Um, yeah. Sort of disappointing in a weird way, but also kind of interesting, especially in terms of the... Uh, strides that Gajira have made commercially. I mean, the last time we saw this band, we saw them in a 4,000, well, four to 5,000 capacity arena. Mm. And yet, you know, almost 10 years before, they're playing this festival and 90% of the audience is leaving in its droves. It's just too much. It's just too much for the sort of person who would go to Glastonbury or the equivalent, the French equivalent of. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That is very interesting. I mean, I suppose <laughs> far be it for me to say that sounds a bit like a metaphor for what happened to metal throughout the decade. You know, that happened in 2010. And then when you look at what's happened to metal kind of commercially in the decade that we've just had, that maybe was some kind of, kind of uh, little glimpse into what the future was holding for us. Um, but then I suppose metal has certainly 
although that might be true of metal in general, I suppose, it's certainly not true of Gojira. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm reaching a little bit there. It seems sort of insane to me. I mean, I, I don't want, you know, I don't want to, I realise I'm sort of starting this classic album on, on a bad foot in a way by, by <laughs> repeating this story. But I suppose I wanted to mention it because it seems so bizarre to me because even I think Gojira are so unique and have such a powerful sound that to me even someone who wasn't into metal should be able to kind of like find their way in i would have thought even though it's you know complex music and stuff like that but you're just being hit with something so uniquely them that i would have thought that it'd be enough to at least intrigue people um Not, even at that stage on, on the on the way of all flesh I mean, I think The Way of All Flesh is a very long, a very dense, a very difficult record. I mean, I found The Way of All Flesh quite a challenge for a couple of months. The Way of All Flesh was a bit like, um, not, not as much, I have to say, but it was a bit like Crack the Sky for me. I mean, I listened to Crack the Sky for a good couple of years and I was just like, I don't know why people are so enamoured with this record. I don't understand it. I can't. I can't get my head around it. And then when I finally did, I was like, ah, that's why. But it was a good couple of years of deliberately going out of my way to listen to it, you know, every couple of days, and then, you know, every week and then once a month for like literally a year and a half, maybe two years. And The Way of All Flesh was pretty similar for me, to be honest. I can sort of understand, you know, it wasn't as long, but I did remember putting it on and going, wow, that's a weird way to open the record. Um, I mean, now I think that's an amazing song, Ouroboros, and the, that riff is so iconic and it's so brilliant. But at first I was like, what an odd way to open your record. And there are odd, just jarring, elongated, weird passages peppered throughout the way of all flesh that make it quite a disorientating listen. And I think it takes you a little while before the roadmap of that record becomes clearer to you um so i can kind of understand in 2010 when they were playing that music why people would need a bit more than a bit more they're handheld a bit more than just sheer power well it well it is a weird and long and very dense record and certainly not immediate in any way shape or form i agree it took me a few years to really get the way of all flesh and even now there are bits that i still find a little befuddling i suppose um but i think it is interesting when you look at gojira's trajectory over the past couple of albums these two albums that we're going to be discussing because i think arguably debatably they have found a way to make their sound uh more palatable uh and yet hit with the same level of intensity I think I think that's what makes songs like Silveria and Stranded so incredible. You're still like, holy shit, that is amazing. But at the same time, there's an instantaneous quality to both of those songs, you know. Mm. Um, and maybe, I mean, I'm speculating somewhat here because the band haven't commented on this performance, but maybe this performance or performances like it so we're starting to sow the seeds of that idea of how do we keep what, how do we keep the essence of what our band is and yet manage to um, expand on it in such a way that people will be able to find it palatable and find it accessible. And mm. in terms of like, I mean, really, really, I suppose I'm starting with that because 
us talking about these two albums, that's going to be that story, isn't it? It's, it's how you make yeah. the unpalatable mm. palatable, kind of in that mm -hmm. Meshuggah way, you know. Mm. Um, although I think Gojira are far more palatable than Meshuggah personally. But yeah. yeah, I mean, we've already brought up Mastodon yeah. already. And I think Mastodon are and Opeth. I mean, Opeth have ridden, have, have really gone like quite far. And, you know, is is opus newer stuff palatable just because it's not got shouting on it i don't know that's a different conversation to have but mm. certainly it's certainly easier to appeal to people um it's funny actually because i'm having this conversation with a mate of mine two days ago i uh, sorry to like jump in and, and bring this up but i we were having a conversation like he's into sustainable pilots foo fighters no effects that kind of thing right and when we were at school before I got into metal properly and stuff like the first things I think we were literally just saying this on our weekly review show two days ago about the offspring and how the offspring were a really really important band for me because without Dookie and Smash and then never or never mind or you know whatever park life whatever uh, the idea of guitar music wouldn't have been you know I needed that to get into guitar music and then it just spiraled some would say out of control <laughs> and um my mate Stu was like you know I I was into Nirvana and I was into, you know, the Soundgarden and stuff like that. And he's like, but then I remember coming around your house and you were listening to Corn, And I was like, I'm out. I'm just out. And he's like, and now when I hear the shit you listen to, I'm just like, there's no melody in that at all. There's no, like the vocals are so harsh. And I did say to him, I was like, it's amazing to me that, you know, death metal, which essentially we're talking Gajira, who are at their core, I guess if you were going to boil it right down to their bones, they're a death metal band. And that's a style that's been around. I mean, as we discussed on our death writers review about screen, bloody gore, even if you consider screen, bloody gore, the first death metal album, that's 1987. You know, you're looking at 34 years of a style being a thing. And the fact that people still find it so unpalatable on mass. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's been around for years and it's not like people are now like, oh, well, there are some death metal bands that have ended up getting really, really big and, you know, casuals can like them. It just doesn't exist. And it's it's kind of a ma mad to me that it's still to this day, like kind of the, the, the byword in too much crazy extremity in music. You know, it, it's kind of mad to me that it still is that. Hmm. And it's really amazing when you do get bands like Opeth and Gajira who at least try and bridge that gap a bit you know i think that's far 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 more exciting to me as well i mean we talk about dynamics all the time but it's far more exciting to me a band who are trying to experiment with that um rather than just death 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 kill 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 all the time i mean that's you know probably a fairly obvious take for anyone who from me for anyone who mm. listens to us regularly but that's just far 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 more interesting to me and i think the different kind of roots and phrases and dynamics that this record has is an absolutely brilliant example of that um the other big thing that happened before the record itself was uh they began work on the sea shepherd ep this kind of mm -hmm. mythical lost ep in early november 2010 gajira entered a studio in los angeles with producer and former machine head guitarist logan madder to begin recording a new non-profit four song ep to raise funds for the anti-whaling organization sea shepherd according to joe Duplantier, the ep was going to feature guest appearances from the international metal scene with sales expected to be through gajira's website without going through traditional ways 
In May 2011, Of Blood and Salt appeared on a Metal Hammer UK sampler album featuring Devon Townsend as a guest vocalist and a guest guitar solo performed by Frederick Thorndendal. Consequently, this track is still available to listen to on YouTube, if you so mm. wish. And I asked you to do so, Steve. And it's pretty fucking awesome, this song, isn't oh, it? Oh, mate, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. It's, um, we'll talk about Joe Duplantier as a vocalist a fair bit over the next kind of couple of hours, I reckon. But man, as great as he is, uh, I wouldn't say it's better or any of them are better, but there's something about an angry Devin Townsend over Gajira's guitar tone, yeah. which is just fucking awesome. And you don't get to hear Devin. I mean, it, because Devin is such an, a kind of crazy, eclectic artist, and also because, I mean, you and I have spoken to him a whole bunch of times over the years, I'm assuming. I mean, I, I know you've spoken to him a, a lot and I've spoken to him a few times. And he's such a nice guy mm -hmm. that when you think to like, you know, when, the last thing that we really listened to or spoke to about with him was with, was Empath. And it's such a big, bright, kind of massive, glorious sounding record. You almost forget that, oh, he was in Strapping Young Lad. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. then you listen to this and you're like, oh, yeah yeah that's the same guy that's the guy i know that guy yeah and 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 hearing devin like fucking bursting a blood vessel on that yeah. song well, you... with that fucking guitar that guitar that gajira guitar it's just so great oh it's a marriage made in heaven it's absolutely exquisite and yeah it's the devon townsend of oh my fucking god and all health for the new flesh as opposed to the devon mm. townsend of i don't know kingdom um or uh, or any of the latter stuff. I mean, it's just fucking awesome to hear. And it's a great song as well. Um, I think it's really tragic that we haven't heard this EP. Unfortunately, uh, it is yet to be released because the hard drive which held the recordings crashed, apparently, which is the most sort of forehead slap moment i can think of in modern metal really it's just like mm. you're kidding that's that's the reason oh it's so annoying there's a few of these records isn't there tapeworm yeah uh that people never got to hear and i suppose what was the other one I, like ibon that doesn't um satyr from satyricon and phil anselmo were going to do that black metal thing and you hear about it and you go oh my god yeah and the zach de la Rocha solo album that never came out god yeah uh there's there's all these like and and i think this, that the gajiris sea shepherd ep i remember here i remember reading the feature in hammer mm. uh from the <clears> way of all flesh and there was a little box out and it was talking about the sea shepherd ep and joe was like oh you know we've got uh i think it, was, well, it would have been devin obviously randy blythe was definitely someone else who was going to be on it uh the other tracks um, featured randy blythe brent hines anders frieden max cavalera and jonas Rensk. i could only remember um max being the other one because obviously uh joe was doing uh cavalera conspiracy yeah around this time as well wasn't he yeah. and um so they were the only ones i could remember but yeah i knew there were a couple other people i mean oh, and i just thought that sounds fucking great yeah i can't wait to get my hands on that and then never came out i think off the top of my head and all of like the sort of lost albums or lost cps that we've heard about over the years i think the only things i'd like to hear more would probably be tapeworm and eros by mm. deftones you know like oh yeah, yeah. like I, I would love to hear 
the remaining three tracks from that. But you can hear one of them on YouTube and it's fucking great and you should check it out if you've never heard it. Uh, in March 2012, Devon Townsend and Meshuggah's Frederick Thorndell joined Gajira to perform their collaboration track of Blood and Salt, which was supposed to appear on the EP at the Soundwave Festival in Australia. Fucking Soundwave getting all the best things all the fucking time. Wow, and can you fucking blame artists wanting to go and spend the week after Christmas well, yeah, going around right. Australia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah, but um, oh, I would have loved to have seen that. Um, so let's get back onto the record itself a little bit. Uh, by March 2011, Gajira had made substantial progress in the composition of the fifth album, claiming to have written almost half of it. These songs are original and a good reflection of where we are today, said Joe Duplantier. Classic albums 12 months away thing to say. Not saying too much, not saying too little. Uh, <laughs> the band had been free agents since the summer of 2011 after their contract with Prosthetic Records expired. On the 9th of November 2011, Gajira was acquired by Roadrunner Records. Heard of them? Monty Connor said, The band is universally recognised as one of the most talented and extreme art metal acts on the scene today. Gajira is one of those rare bands that comes along every couple of years and takes everything you know about metal, twists it, reimagines it, and comes up with something wholly unique. The band makes that much of an impact with its music and approach. I think that's rather brilliantly put, Mr. Monty Connor. Yeah. Wouldn't He's it? good, Monty Connor, isn't he? He's good, Monty he, Connor. I he wouldn't... found Sepultura. He's better yeah. than you. He found Sepultura. <laughs> he found Sepultura. Slipknot. Did he do Slipknot? Yeah, Typo yeah, Negative, typo. Yeah, Fear I mean... Factory, Machine Head, Life yeah. of Agony. Could go on. One of the best A&R guys to ever do it, arguably, in any genre, mm -hmm. I would argue brilliant uh so in the wake of the new contract gajira entered spin studios in new york city in november to set about recording their follow-up album it was co-produced by josh wilbur and joe duplantier wilbur was relatively new to the role of producer but he had done various jobs in studios like mixing and engineering and digital editing etc since 2000 his first credit as far as i can see at least is actually as a mixer on chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water Oh, well, then he's very good at his job. <laughs> so, you, I mean, you can see the evolution from Chocolate Starfish to L'Enfant Sauvage. Uh, it's, it's like a straight line. Um, prior to L'Enfant Sauvage, he'd begun to make a name for himself in producer circles in 2009. Although he didn't have as many producer credits as I expected him to have, I will say. But I think it was probably, looking through the discography, I think it was probably Lamb of God's Wrath, which was the point where it started to where people started to go josh wilbur josh wilbur you know and his name started to mm -hmm. because that is that it I, I think wrath might be the best sounding lamb of god record yeah i mean i think we did we did sacrament we did uh we did sacrament didn't we and i do yeah. well we spoke about josh wilbur quite a lot when we did um as the palaces burn and and sacrament and uh yeah i, I it, you know there was a point where i was like is wrath my favorite for a long time wrath was my favorite it's fucking and great. And it's only kind of going back and listening to Sacrament and being like, actually, I think maybe Sacrament is my favourite. Mm. I think Sacrament is my favourite. But, you know, just such great sound. Yeah, Lamb of God, when they got that fucking studio sound right, and I think Josh Wilbur gets them. Um, yeah, you, you would, if you were a metal band, Lord only knows, you would listen to that and think, I want to sound like that. Well, they've worked, I, I believe this to be true they've worked exclusively with josh wilbur since lamb of god mm -hmm. um 
he has since garnered production credits on records by Hatebreed, Killer Be Killed, Crossface, Soulfly, Of Mice and Men, and Trivium. Uh, mixed bag, I would say there. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, e- even even I will admit that those are some fucking big names in the metal world, you know. So yeah, for sure. um, having gone through his credits, in my opinion, I'm just going to throw this in there and I'm not uh, I'm not necessarily expecting you to come up with a retort, but I think that uh, L'Enfant Sauvage is the best sounding record Josh Wilbur's worked on, personally, um, having looked at his credits. but you know. I haven't actually looked at his credits. Yeah, Maybe I should do... Should, he's not... He's, yeah, I don't have his credits in front of me, so uh, I'm going to say yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> on L'Enfant Sauvage, the band were attempting to juxtapose their death metal roots with more ambient elements with an intent to find the ultimate sound on which they had been working since their beginning. Joe Duplantier told Joe Daly from Metal Hammer in 2016... L'Enfant Sauvage was the beginning of something big and new for us. It was about experimentation and research. I feel like we have a sound to begin with. We have an ideal of what we want to hear, this crushing yet soothing and interesting metal sound. That's what we aim for from the beginning, so it's not like we get to the studio and then start figuring out what we're going to do. With L'Enfant Sauvage, we tried something else with Josh Wilbur, who co-produced the record with me. We went for something super tight and powerful, but with even more epicness in the song structures. We're following a path toward the ultimate sound that we haven't found yet, but we're still working on it. I think I don't want to blow my... Um, my uh, <laughs> sorry. I don't, I don't want to blow my argument or blow my rhetoric on why I think this album is the best Gajira album super, super early. Although, in many ways, Duplantier has kind of just summed it all up there. Mm. I think mm. it's the ultimate expression of where Gajira were at this point, to the point that when they went on to do Magma, as we will discuss later, they went, well, we can't better that. Like, what we did there with L'Enfant Sauvage, that is the ultimate expression in terms of, like, combining death metal with that more epic... Um, it's kind of like the Unjustice for All to Metallica's Black Album. It's like you, yeah. get, you get to a point where it's like, well, where do we go from here? And the only place to go is to minimise and is to go down a more minimalist route, which, you know, has proved, has done wonders for Gojira. Magma's a brilliant record, as we will discuss. And, um, you know, Fortitude is fucking great as well. Um, you know, uh, but... I I I think I feel like that this is kind of like the apex of what they could do at this point with this sound, with this style in Gajira. And I think for me, that is why it's my favourite, because it's the perfect distillation of the 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 ultimate sound that they had been going for since their beginning. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm 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 wondering if you will come to this. I'm pretty sure you will, but I hope you don't mind me sticking this in straight away what's good about doing these these two albums back to back is that for me what i kind of realized listening back to them uh back to back which i probably hadn't done for i mean i don't even know if i've ever done it to be honest but um but listening to them you know back to back as i as i have is that they're a kind of yin and yang pair for me and i know joe Duplantier became a father during this period yes Yes. Um, which I was assume, I'm assuming you're going to talk about in a, in a little Very bit. briefly. I mean, we can do it now if you'd like. Well, yeah. I mean, Joe Duplantier became a father and and spoke about how becoming a father 
influence. I think what we'll learn about Gajira as this progresses is that, you know, they're not like Meshuggah who decide we're making an album and we're going to make a concept for a record and what's going on in our lives doesn't really affect kind of what the record sounds like. You know, I don't think Gajira, I mean, I don't think Meshuggah are the sort of band as, you know, as discussed on the special we did on Obzin, I don't think Meshuggah are the sort of band who go into the studio and go, how are we feeling? Like, let's try and see how that comes out in the music. No, 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 no. They're, they're precision powerhouse. Whereas there is something like a sort of um, a raw, like the ultimate kind of raw, primal raw of birth about this record. Do you know what I mean? It's like they that eco metal thing that followed them around for ages. This is the point where you go, I mean, this does sound like the earth shaking and just like life you know like it's got so much fucking life about it this record and i think you know just the it's almost it's like a soundtrack to volcanoes forming and stuff like that you know yeah yeah it's it's things coming out of the earth and i think you know for for joe to plant to become a father he would be i think he's you know i've uh Again, I think the two of us have spoken to Joe Duplantier a couple of times. Yep. Um, he's a lovely man and lovely he's man. quite and he's a very softly spoken, he seems like a very sensitive yeah. um and very kind of acutely aware man of you know of everything that's going on around him. So I think yeah. like becoming a father and having that kind of I guess that kind of primal maternal instinct coming out of you would translate into something very real on this record. And I I think it does. Like for me what's great about you know this is this is the birth and magma is the death you know it's the the yin and yang between those these two albums are and it's not like mastodon where they decided that that's what they're going to do oh this is the earth album and this is the you know what i mean it's like i I feel like that's just the way it is in a way that's probably why doing these two together is the the best thing we could have done because they are opposite ends of the balancing act they are the seesaw that kind of counterbalance each other i think i i agree completely um i think (laughs) as you rightly pointed out joe duplante is a very sensitive soul to the point where things outside of him very much affect him i think I've, i've only spoken to him twice but i very much get that impression um and so becoming a parent was going to be a massive influence on this record wasn't it and those ideas of birth and rebirth and children were likely on his mind it was called the wild child you know like Mm. it all kind of ties up quite nicely um and it kind of feels like l'enfant sauvage isn't a concept album but it does feel like it has a theme going on throughout it and it's quite a loose theme but i think that's quite nice because it is very very open to interpretation but it it does go along the the lines of kind of birth and rebirth and childhood and 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 innocence being lost and all that sort of thing um as you rightly pointed out the title translates in english to the wild wild child although Joe Duplantier explained that titling the album in in English inadequately encapsulated the meaning of the French term. Sauvage is something that is not educated or something that is free and completely free in nature. 
The idea with L'Enfant Sauvage is like with a human that would grow up in nature, raised by wolves, for example, without the influence from others and the influence from institutions or society in general. Duplante also clarified in another interview that the Jungle Book's Mowgli is a good example of a sort of wild child uh, mm. character, I guess, in the context that they're speaking in. Um, there was a really interesting revelation that I had no, I didn't know this at all in an interview De Plantier gave to the Quietist, where he said he'd lived in a forest for two years. Yeah, I you, didn't know that. You didn't know that. OK, uh, he said that was very extreme. I was using candles and water from a stream in a cabin made of wood that I built myself, but I had to choose at one point. OK, am I going to go completely out of society and the traffic or do I have something to do? And one day I felt that I had something to do in this mess because I believe very strongly in what I do. It's like a mission to us. It's not a job. It's not a hobby. We just dedicate our lives to this. Like right now, I would love to be with my baby and my wife more than anything, but I'm sure, but I'm here because it's a mission. It's not about what I like or what I want to do. It's all very prophetic in that weird way. Mm -hmm. I, I don't mean that in a sort of self-entitled sort of way, but um, uh it's very clear that like they feel like they have a message that they want people to listen to. And um, uh, I mean, I, I think Gajira are probably one of the bands who've done the most for sort of eco-conservatism, certainly in metal. I think Gajira Architects, uh, Devon to, to a degree, you know, but certainly there is that feeling like- Cow Decapitation? Yeah, Cow Decapitation. But certainly there's that feeling of, um, there being some sort of purpose to what they're doing and they refer to what they do as a mission quite a lot so um mm. i think that's quite interesting but yeah uh so yeah he was effectively homeless for two years and lived in the woods bonkers um <laughs> the title of the album made an indirect reference to the french film the wild child of uh francis francis truffaut um but it's first of all about poetry noted mario de plantier truffaut's L'Enfant Sauvage tells the true story of Victor of Avrion, a child who was found alone in the woods with behaviours closer to a wild animal than a civilised human. So basically it sounds like the Jungle Book without songs. Um, in an interview with Sweden's Metal Shrine, Joe Duplantier expanded on the reasons why they chose the name and why it's in French. We couldn't call it the wild child because it's hard to translate L'Enfant Sauvage. It's not really the wild child as understood in English because a wild child suggests someone out of control. In French, sauvage is something that is not educated or something that is completely free in nature. A wildflower that goes wherever she wants and becomes something beautiful. The idea with L'Enfant Sauvage is a human that would grow up in nature, raised by wolves, for example, without the influence from others and the influence from institutions or society in general. Someone without a social security number, not even a name. This is what you are and I am on the inside, right? how much the education and the culture emotions and the guilt are interacting with us and it changes us and how far are we from this child inside that's the question we had on this album with freedom comes responsibility so i'm asking myself what is freedom what does it mean to me l'enfant sauvage reflects on that there's no answer though that's just life and questions oh very deep mm. but you can kind of i didn't sort of um I didn't know that consciously, but reading all of that back, all of that makes total sense. Like yeah. with this record complete. And I, I mean, yeah. it, it could sound like just ramblings on a page, but in context with the actual album itself, I'm like, yeah, I totally get those themes in it completely. And mm. I think, yeah, me too. I mean, I, definitely. I think 
Gujira have always been. It's very different. I mean, we speak, you know, again, I'm not going to get into like, we speak about metal being all the same or <laughs> having no strong sense of, you know, um, identity and stuff. But I mean, this is more than a sense of identity, really, isn't it? This is far more than just a sense of identity with Gujira. I mean, from the first time I heard them, songs like Flying Wells and Backbone and stuff, and I was like, you can almost smell the salt water from those songs. Yeah. And they, they're so important. It's like, you know, it's very, very difficult to like, um, not just to have your own sense of identity, but to be able to kind of go into a place and go, I want to capture my feelings of this place. And to translate that into essentially death metal is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Mm. Just as a just as a concept. And the fact that Kajira do do that, and when you read something like that, you don't go, what a load of, you know, they're not blessed the fool who like mm. waffle on about mm. how are oh, we going to change the world? And you go, oh, I just have that metal core. Like, do you know what I mean? Just do something like every other band. Like they, they actually do manage to do that. And I think if you're going to say stuff like that, then you need to be able to back it up. And this is why they're, why we're talking about them on the classic album. Yeah. Cause they, they can back it up and they do back it up. I think if I'd not heard the record, I could easily dismiss all of that as total waffle. Cause it does sound like, you know, it sounds like the sort of very loose concept that a lot of bands talk about but when i think about the album itself and what he's saying it feels those two things feel very closely interlinked you know it's yeah. in essence it's nature versus nurture isn't it you know it's a theme that dinosaur right. pileup have also previously explored <laughs> <laughs> although in my opinion with less successful results let's let's be honest well come on fuck's sake uh um yeah they, yeah 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 Gajira are better than Dinosaur Pilot. <laughs> I will admit that. Hot take. Um, he had some enlightening things to say in the quietest interview about growing as a band as well, which looking back on it 10 years later, I think has become somewhat prophetic for Kajira and something that we'll likely look at in more detail on uh, Steve's episode on Magma. A lot of people think that bands in general become lazy and sometimes it's true. But in our case, it's that we work more to make a song because we have more experience and we want to raise the bar higher and higher. We make that effort to go deeper. Somehow it's strange because the music becomes easier to understand and there are less things to and, and it becomes less technical. It's not because we want to sell more records. What we played 10 years ago is not what we want to hear anymore. And we want to create more sophisticated things, but more simple things at the same time. It's a very complicated balance. With this album, I'm pretty happy and still I cannot grasp what we did. And that's the beauty of it. Mm. Mm. I think that mm. whole thing of creating more sophisticated things and yet simpler things at the same time is the most telling thing about that entire uh, passage. Because... You know, spoiler alert, that's sort of what I did on Magma, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's weird. People don't seem to understand that just, you know, you can be difficult and musically simple at the same time. I mean, you know, any fucking thread on Twitter you ever see about, I know I go on about it all the time, but any tr Twitter thread you see about why the Beatles aren't good, go on about how easy it is to play their songs it's like that's not really the point is it mm. it's not really the point of music to just go oh look how good i am at doing this <laughs> look how hard it is to do this thing that i'm doing even though it sounds like <laughs> shit and it doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't mean anything but hey look how hard it is it's really difficult it's like you know that's that's fucking rubbing your stomach and patting yourself on the head like it's just which, a trick which, basically and I, which is very difficult let's face it yeah it's very hard it is hard but you know it's a, 
that's not going to win a win your Grammy, is it? Unfo- unfortunately, not. No, I wish I'd realised that before I practiced for ten years. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, there probably is a, a category in the Grammys above best metal performance of best person at patting themselves on their head. Fantastic. I'll resume practice as soon as we finish recording. Um, he also had something to say on the length of the album, a, a topic that is a favourite of mine. Um, uh, at 52 minutes and 23 seconds without bonus tracks, L'Enfant Sauvage is significantly shorter than its predecessor, The Way of All Flesh, which is 69 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, you've already brought this up, Steve, and I sort of stayed quiet. But yeah, The Way of All Flesh, as great as that record is, it is too long. Um, too long. And Josie Plantier seems to agree with me, I think it's fair to say. He said, we knew that we wanted to make something a little bit shorter than usual, usual because we think it's too tiring. And I had this idea that we need to release a record like Master of Puppets with eight songs. If you listen to it, you want to listen to it again. It's a good feeling when you've made it to the end of the al- of an album and your brain and your emotions can't take it. But we have a tendency to add three songs after that. And it's a little too much. So I was convinced that we needed to record something like nine songs it's like cooking Mm. you don't put all the salt in you just put a little bit of it in it's not just a bunch of songs together it's a piece it's a very precise balance the last song of the album was almost not on the album at all it was just a couple of weeks before mastering and finally we went well it goes pretty well at the end there's a lot of discussions with this sort of thing i think um yeah i mean we talk about that the album as a whole and uh, playlists as albums as we have um, yep. discussed and all this kind of thing and i think it's really clear that gojira are very much more the former than the latter always have mm-hmm. been i think they probably always will be um <clears throat> and i think the kind of thematics are maybe arguably best realized on l'enfant sauvage i don't know if you agree with that or not but that kind of for want of a better word the concept the theme of the record you know um maybe okay. yeah uh yeah maybe i'm i i, I suppose we will get into it I, I don't know my my opinions change a fair bit but certainly i think you can see from where we where we were at let, let's call it the way from the way of all flesh which is sort of we're not going previous to that so let's st- stay there you can see a definite chipping and a refinement um, in Gojira's approach to what an album is from The Way of All Flesh through to, well, through to Fortitude, to be honest. I think you can see a definite, like, uh, their ideas of what an album should be, I think, dramatically change mm-hmm. in that that kind of 30... Have, have, have changed a lot in that 13-year period, obviously. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. Um so shall we get into uh the songs themselves let's do that record um might as well start at the beginning with explosia because it is yeah fucking brilliant um i think one of my favorite uh things that this album does is the clean guitar lines that come out over the top of a very kind of rhythmic distorted pattern um, and it's something that Gajira used quite a lot, almost, again, almost as the theme on this record. I think every time they do it, it's absolutely brilliant. But Explosia is almost, I don't even know if it's the best example, but because it's the first example that you come across, it's the one that always sticks in my mind. And um, 
Explosia just like, I mean, it, it, it starts pretty heavy and then just continues to build and build and build. And what most metal bands would do, I think, with a song like Explosia is they would make it build to a very satisfying conclusion and then the whole thing explodes at the end and it's absolutely amazing and euphoric and then end. Um, some brilliant bands would do that. I would argue Tool do that with The Grudge uh, and very mm -hmm. successful, successfully too. What I love about Explosia is it feels like it is about to explode. And then this very kind of palm-muted rhythmic riff comes in with a very simple, clean guitar line, almost spaghetti western-esque, twangy uh, guitar riff line lead over the top. It's one of those things. Um, and it just sounds so cool. And it's kind of like, it's almost like a little tease. It's like, we can explode and we could go up a level higher, but you know, we're only at the beginning of the album. We've got time. And I think I was really, that like when I first heard this record, that stuck with me so much. Cause I was like the choice to do that and not explode at the end, but just show a bit of restraint and go, you know, we've got plenty of time to explode and Kajira explode plenty of times on this record. But, yeah. but you know, I think that showed such a, you know, I, I know you're not a fan of the word and I don't like it particularly either, but such a mature sense of songwriting. Um, and it immediately, it, it's for, for me, it's a myriad of tiny touches like that, that make this band extraordinary you know mm. um and it's the way that they think about these things in that sense that turns a band from being really fucking good to the best in their class you know the best in yeah. show mm. uh your feelings this is this is some opener i think and particularly again when we put it up against the opener of magma and you see how different they are because you're right although this never like goes i mean there is a hell of a riff on it and then the way when Duplantier goes that pick scrape into that go and then mm -hmm. everything just kind of comes careering in. Um, I, I mean, the, what I would say about the, you kind of summed it up very nicely, but what I would say about this song, which I always love is that when you've got a riff that good, you don't even need vocals for the chorus. Like the riff is the chorus. Yeah. And that's when, you know, you've got a hell of a fucking riff that, that mask you wear, you wear is falling. Like it's just, it's an unreal opener this yeah and it's like like you say it feels like the tip when you've heard the whole album it feels like the tip of the iceberg but when you put it on for the first time you're like holy shit yeah like we're we're off we're off and running yeah. um and like you say it's not even the most kind of intense moment of the record by any stretch of the imagination fucking great no 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 the the record very much um builds to a pretty astonishing crescendo around the ninth track i would say end of eighth track ninth track um and then uh, it's one of these records that kind of it doesn't dissipate it doesn't disappear but it, it slowly uh slowly slow it slows down to a kind of crawl towards the end um, which I think is such a wicked uh, structure for the album as a whole. Um, I mean, L'Enfant Sauvage straight after Explosia is 
just an absolute savage beast of a song. Um, I, it's weird. For quite a long time, I, I, I considered the title track a weak moment on the record. It's just such an insane thing to say um, when I when I listen back to this. But then seeing them at Bloodstock, um, I think they played it second. And I was just like, no, this isn't a weak song at all. What the fuck am I talking about? Uh, but it was only like in comparison to the amazing stuff that was around it. Um, non Savage is just... I, I, that they are building to this extraordinary point on that song throughout and when it does finally explode and you get all the you know classic gajira pit scraping stuff and it goes into this really weird riff and you get that uh no and all it's it's fucking it's this is the best that metal gets that that like that section and that build to that section the mm. build to that ex uh, section is key you can't have that that section does not work uh unless yeah. you have the build to it uh oh, it, it, it is what i adore about heavy metal music i love it do you know what i like about it this is my sort of my favorite thing about it is when people talk about extreme metal right and particularly, de you know, particularly death metal at the extremity of death metal. Oh, it's so fast and it's so hard. Blast beats and tremolo picking and blah, blah, blah. And all this, you know, like riffs, 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 really, really down-tuned, guttural, blah, blah, blah. It's the paranoia-inducing riff of this song that stalks and creeps its way around you. Like the best death metal bands. You go and listen to Waters of Madness by Morbid Angel, which is who I think are a very, very comparable band to Kojira in, like, in a lot of ways. Um and the atmosphere, um, it, it's got a straight ahead groove that most death metal bands can't match, but it's the atmosphere. It's the creation of this like creepy, weird, atonal atmosphere that I just think is fucking brilliant. And, I, I, you know, I somewhere over the last sort of 20 years or so, 25 years, maybe a lot of extreme bands have kind of forgotten that. Not all of them, of course. Lots of them haven't. But, you know, but I think the best ones from that period that we're talking about, even when you listen to, like, early Entombed, like, they have that kind of creepy kind of horror film. And and this isn't a hot, like a slasher horror film, Le Font Sauvage. This is more like a kind of, you know, Dario Argento, weird psychological fucked up thing that's going on. And, uh, you know, I just think... You don't have to be battery all the time. You know, you can do other things. And Gajira do that on that song. Like, fucking, I, I, I love that song. I think it's amazing. I feel like an idiot forever doubting it. I don't, well, well, I, I don't want to give the impression that I was like, oh, that's a bad song. But yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought it was like a nine out of 10 surrounded by 10 out of 10s, basically. Mm. Uh, but no, turns out it's a 10. Um, is there yeah. somewhere that you would like to go next? I'm quite happy to continue on with the acts, which I think is fucking great. Well, I was going to say, I think that the, the, one of the things I will say about uh Le Fon Sauvage is I think Explosia Le Fon Sauvage the axe might be the best one two three opener in their entire back catalogue I, think I mean I think yeah. it, it doesn't exactly drop off much after that but in terms of like the op an opening trio I think it's definitely the best opening trio of songs they've done 
in on any of their albums in their entire career that kind of mid-paced stompy the leads over the top of it and when that breakdown comes in it's just fucking fantastic this is just yeah it's it's metal as the gods intended <laughs> do you know what i mean absolutely um you know what I, I i was going to tentatively ask you if you thought explosia was the best al- uh, uh, album opener on uh on a gajira album but uh i'm really glad you said it's the best one two three because i actually think that's even more impressive and yes i think i probably yeah. agree with you um which is mad when you consider some of the one two three openers that they've had but yeah yep. it's just uh you know it's it's just such an astonishing and to be totally honest as is the case with you know many gajira records the beginning is not as interesting as the end it's what they build to which is the most interesting stuff i mean mm. you know well again to my favorite songs in a bit but like yeah that is a wonderful opening three um do you want to talk about liquid fire specifically or shall i um do a little bit on why i love uh inter- interludes <laughs> You can do if you want. I mean, I will say, I mean, um, the thing about uh, Liquid Fire is the sort of Pantera groove to the opening of the song. Yeah. And obviously that kind of Vinnie Paul and Dimebag Daryl thing that Joe and Mario have going on is really clear in that song. Um, I'm not sure. This is one thing I was going to say about Liquid Fire. As much as I loved Gojira, I never thought they'd done kind of, at this point, that kind of soaring stadium sound before. Something that I think would sound good in an arena. And we will discuss them at festivals and them in arenas in a little bit but this is maybe the first time in their career where they really sounded like they could play to massive massive loads of people who wouldn't walk away from them at a festival stage i think that's true yeah and i Mm. think that's a large part of why this is my favorite gojira album because they have that sense but they also haven't lost the sense of expansiveness and the 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 more tooly progressive kind of elements as well they've managed to have their cake and eat it with this album um yeah i agree entirely uh the the thing that i really love about liquid fire um is uh that song does really evoke liquid fire um i i when that song is playing i can picture this idea of liquid fire like falling from a platform or something like that very very clearly i think musically they managed to do it i can't really go much deeper than that in terms of the kind of technical reasons as to why it sounds like liquid fire but to me it does i don't know if you know what i'm talking about with that i don't know if you, you're yeah, think sort I'm of, talking yeah. nonsense sort of okay. no 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 no, no. <laughs> that's fine um the wild healer the the kind of more chilled out moments on um this record i just wanted to give a nod to because you know the wild healer is what it is one minute and 48 seconds and it's just an interlude effectively but it's such a beautiful piece of music in a um very much cliff burton-esque anesthesia you know kind of way but sort of given a tech metal makeover i really i really love that interlude it's something that i feel like i could have on loop all day almost (laughs) um i i i think it's absolutely lovely 
yeah it's got a kind of experimental electro feel to it i mean i i thought that the sort of opening of it i was like oh that could be from the square pusher record or something yeah 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 but it's weirdly hypnotic and mm. calming um when joe duplantier talks about like how they want to have um really heavy metal riffs but with a sort of soothing quality as well um it is tracks like the wild healer that i think about because you know it's still it's still heavy it's not heavy like morbid angel heavy but it's it's heavy it would stand out if you i would be a bonkers thing to put on radio one but it would you know it would stand out definitely but it's really relaxing and soothing as well i almost get the same feeling i get from say listening to devon townsend's ghost or something like that which mm. if you're unfamiliar with it is effectively a new age album um whatever that even means ambient album um but yeah i i, I really like that like sometimes you feel like um uh interludes are just sort of scattered in there to break things up i think this interlude i think that is part of the reason it's there but you couldn't have this album wouldn't work anywhere near as much if you took just that one minute and 48 seconds of music out it would it would it would kind of stall a little bit because i think it would be too much especially considering the way that um planned obsolescence opens which is just ridiculously heavy and very much like it's like okay here's some straight ahead death metal gajira for you it is it's yeah fucking awesome that that morbid angel influence particularly um you know there's a fucking massive nod to morbid again like morbid angel are probably one of the bands that there's not many bands even though you know gajira are a death metal band there's not many bands in death metal where i go ah yes well they sound a bit like that exact band like you know they don't sound like obituary or Mm. pestilence or whatever but they do sound like morbid angel when you know when they're at their best Mm. and they never go all the way back to that level of total extremity like they would have done on um you know terror incognita but they get pretty close to a band who were you know for such size at that point and i mean i particularly like that they put that kind of ambient passage in before um coming back with something of such brutality before letting it go all kind of nice and acoustic again it's just fucking great Uh, this is one of my favorite songs in the record oh it's a brilliant song um and yeah like you say i mean having the wild healer beforehand makes the attack of planned obsolescence just seem so Mm. much more vivid Mm. uh it's a fantastic song planned obsolescence i love it i can't imagine i think uh from magma onwards it's and you know including fortitude in this it's kind of difficult to imagine gajira being this straight ahead death metal technical on Mm. either magma or fortitude would you agree with that yeah 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 i absolutely would yeah it's weird to kind of you've got the wild healer in between sort of the first time they did something and almost maybe the The last last time time they did something exactly yeah yeah which i think is interesting um we then come on to a kind of trilogy what i kind of consider a trilogy of songs uh and also for me the absolute best part of the record by this is comfortably i I, the whole thing has been brilliant up to this point but this is the point where it goes into like absolutely phenomenal classic territory for me the trio of mouth of color the gift of guilt and pain is a master i just think is absolutely glorious um just like 
tool levels of genius. I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, the Gift of Guilt is my favourite song on the record. Um, but I love the build to it, and the well, well I, I love, I love Mouth of Color's kind of uh, uh, the, the way that that kind of builds monstrously, and then the kind of Pains the Masters sort of the disturbing epilogue afterwards almost mm. um do you see where i'm coming from putting these songs together as a trio yeah sort of i mean i yeah I, i'd never thought of it like that before but i guess so i mean i mouth of color i love gajira when they go kind of quite slow and hypnotically grinding which i guess we'll kind of get to when we talk about magma a bit and you know and what I like about particular, I particularly like Joe Duplantier's vocal performance on this because he even sounds like he's shredding his vocals on the more melodic parts. Yeah, like it's very intense uh, a vocal performance. Um, there's a kind of black metal grandiosity to the opening of the Gift of Guilt, which I think is great. Um, that like tapped riff is just yeah. that that like I don't know that is just Gajira to me like yeah oh i love it and when they drop it's like a fucking ton of bricks because they kind of chug along for a little bit in that song and then they just drop you out of nowhere and it's like what fucking hell wow where the hell did that come from yeah it's yeah. unbelievable um pain is pain is master i think is the the best riff on the entire album is on that song that riff is fucking ridiculous. It might be my favourite song, actually. I've just said Planned Obsolescence. It, 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 it's yeah, it's between those two, I think. And Do you the mean way like it comes the, in, the tappy bassy thing, or are you talking about something else? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very tall. And the, yeah. yeah, very. And I mean, it's got that kind of tall. You know, you mentioned tall, and that kind of polyrhythmic crunch at the end is is wicked. And you know, the way it comes in with a sort of acoustic part and then it just goes fucking mad. Like that song goes so hard. It's yeah. it's just a fucking amazing song. Um, so yeah, as a trilogy, they're all completely different. All suitably intense and they all do all kinds of different things and they're all great. I mean, yeah, I think Pain is Master is probably my favourite song on the record. That's that's fair enough. I mean, th there's something there's something about I don't I don't know if I even read it in an interview or something like that, but I've always seen them as a trilogy of songs and very much mm. the centerpiece of the entire record. It's not quite in the middle, but it's just after. Um, I mean, it's just 16 minutes, 17 minutes of pure prime modern metal. It's just incredible mm. and anyone who i think and i think it it goes through almost every single emotion that metal can conjure almost that those 16 mm. 17 minutes of music and that bit in i think it's pain as a master isn't it where the drums come in it's like oh my god it's it's <laughs> that is an audio orgasm it's fucking yeah. amazing it's amazing. Yeah. It is so far beyond what anyone else is doing on the planet, pretty much. But I don't know, mm. maybe Goat Orange. Yeah. And the like. It's fucking... Fucking great. I think as well, they're very... It, it's clever of them to like just kind of creep in, do a kind of gothic, creepy thing. Uh, probably the most sort of gothic sounding 
uh, Kajir had sounded up until this point in their career on Born in Winter. Yes. Because I think it would be very difficult to sort of follow Payne's master and go sort of toe-to-toe with it. And the fact that most bands would go, well, we'll just put something that's not quite as good as that next to it. And they're like, no, no, we'll do something nah. that's not like that so that it doesn't suffer. Yeah. The album doesn't suffer. Born, um, born in Winter. Yeah. I mean, I don't tend to think of it as a penultimate track because like most people probably i have the special edition with the bonus tracks Mm -hmm. but for a penultimate track born in winter is savagely good it's fucking Mm. brilliant you know and then you've got the fall which just concludes the album in like the almost perfect way you know um like uh, just a real like yeah as i say the album kind of just sort of dissipating almost rather than like abruptly ending um we can briefly mention this emptiness and my last creation if you'd like i I do think both of those songs are the least good songs on the record but then they're they're bonus tracks they're really good but they are still very good yeah Yeah, i mean it's two kind of explosive gruesome brutal ones aren't they yeah and there's plenty of that throughout the album but i think i can understand why neither of them you know when Gajira had I think at this point Gajira had gone beyond trying to make music which is just trying to destroy the world sort of thing like uh you know it's just I think that you know I love it when I mean the emptiness when the emptiness goes double time Mm. kind of almost thrashy at the end it's really really great yeah uh I don't think either of those two songs are I don't think you need either of them on the album. The album's fine as it is, but if you if, if even came on, I'd be like, these are both really good. I would, really good. I would, I would never, I would never stop the album early. I would never stop the album after the fall. But I do think they're the two, two. I, would, I don't even want to say two worst songs. The two least good songs on the record, and mm-hmm. therefore they chose correctly, in my opinion. Um, but but yeah, they're still fucking great songs um so yeah that's the album pretty much it's more or less every track um after the many tours shared with metallica the band was accordingly invited to open a series of concerts for the european black album tour notably at the stade de france the largest stadium in the country on the 12th of may 2012 on that day the loudness of sound during gajira's performance was measured at 120 decibels in the corridors backstage Wow. Which broke the record of the Stade de France and has remained the loudest sound ever recorded at the stadium. That's <laughs> fucking, <laughs> fucking hell. mad. That's... Can I just say, fair fucking play to Metallica as well for letting them do that because we all know, obviously naming no names, we've got no names to name really, but there are stories of bands who are support bands being given tiny no production yeah. and different like yeah. settings on the you know the, the mixing desk and not being able to use the full pa and stuff like that that is a thing that happens yeah so gajira wouldn't have been able to do that unless metallica were like yeah have whatever you want and i mean very good of them metallica metallica have got nothing to be scared of have they metallica really well metallica have been accused of that i personally have never found that to be the case um, I've always thought that the, I, I don't know. I mean, seeing the, seeing uh, Cavell attack, like Cavell attack had a very poor sound when we saw them supporting Metallica, but I don't think that was actually down to, you know, but whatever. But um, no, I think that's proof that they obviously, like 120 decibels in the corridors backstage. 
That's insane. Like, that is so fucking loud. Yeah. I can't even imagine what it would have been out front. Like, that's, that is, yeah, that is really loud. Uh, com- really loud. Commenting, well, a, a jumbo jet taking off is meant to be, like, 110 decibels or something insane like that. You know, so, yeah, that's loud. Commenting on Metallica's motive for taking Gajira on tour with them, James Hetfield told a reporter, I discovered their music with From Mars to Sirius, an album that I loved. Humanly speaking, I liked them a lot. They have their feet on the ground, are intelligent and sensitive. I have immense respect for them. And then Mario is an incredible drummer. I imagine he probably wanted to steal Mario and get him in Metallica. Can you imagine? Oh, that'd be good. That'd be good. I think that'd be an awkward conversation (laughs) the guy who formed the band it would be but you know all would be good Um, so critical reception uh, was pretty damn good Uh, (laughs) this album has a score of 86 out of 100 on Metacritic which is pretty darn high A- minus in the AV club favourable review with BBC Music 9.5 out of 10 on Blabbermouth 5 out of 5 in The Guardian 4Ks in Kerrang I was a little bit surprised to see that I kind of just assumed Hmm. that this would have been a 5K record but okay that's fine 8.1 out of 10 on Pitchfork yep and they said it's their best album Uh, Pop Matters 8 out of 10 Spin 8 out of 10 lots of very uh, universal acclaim I would say um the lowest score it received on metacritic was 70 out of 100 uh which is basically seven out of ten um which was for all thank you rachel riley (laughs) um but even that review said it was an utterly exhausting but consistently thrilling listen l'enfant sauvage is arguably a career best which suggests that gajira have found their spiritual home i mean you know if that's a quote from the worst album i could the, the worst review of this record I could find. I'd take that. That's all right. Uh, in terms mm. of some of the nicer things that were said, um, not that that wasn't that nice, writing for the BBC, uh, Razik Raf wrote that this is as flawless an extreme metal album as you'll hear in 2012 or any other year, adding that Gajira is one of the finest of our generation and with L'Enfant Sauvage, they've created another album to suit such a reputation. Uh, in his 8.1 out of 10 review for Pitchfork, Grayson Curran wrote that L'Enfant Sauvage was one of the most riveting and challenging metal records of the year. This quartet's nothing if not an adroit and agile rock band prone to acrobatic guitar lines and rhythmic shifts capable of inducing whiplash. In his review of the album for The Guardian, Dom Dom Lawson gave the album a perfect rating, writing that their fifth studio album sustains their trademark blend of unfathomable heaviness and structural invention and ecological come existential poetry, whilst subtly enhancing its dramatic and emotional impact, concluding that overall this is a ferociously original piece of work that reaches its electrifying zenith on the gift of guilt. Six minutes of sledgehammer sorrow built from the riffs that sound like warning shots fired from the planet's doomed and turbulent core. This is metal taken to a higher plane of brilliance. Agree with all of that. Stephen Hill of Metal Hammer described the album as the bridge between Gajira's past and future. How astute of Stephen Hill (laughs) from Metal Hammer there. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, that was only a couple of weeks ago, to be fair. <laughs> oh, so, was it? Know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that was literally like two months ago. So I'm not going to take too much time. Oh, look at me! Aren't I clever? I was going. You know I, mean? I was going to praise you for being really astute and prophetic. But no, if you read where that, did you get? Where did you get that? I was on uh, Wikipedia, mate. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Lucky you. Um, shall we go into albums of the year? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah. 
Okie dokie. Well, the most obvious point to go to is Metal Hammer, um, the famous home of uh, contributor Stephen Hill, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who comes up with amazingly prophetic things to say 10 years after they would sound prophetic. Um, in 2012. Don't fucking do that. <laughs> I never said, I never said, by the way, <laughs> what a prophetic thing of me to say that I wrote fucking five years after Magma came out. Uh, <laughs> um, the number one album of the year for Metal Hammer in 2012 was Long Force Sauvage by Gojira. Of course mm -hmm. it was. Um, number two, Epic Cloud by Devin Townsend Project, future classic album. Um, you're, you're happy with that, Steve, I'm assuming? I'm, I'm mate, absolutely happy with that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Eulogy for the Damned by Orange Goblin. That was a great Orange Goblin record from what I recall. Yeah, I remember that being good, yeah. Mm. Uh, Weather Systems by Anathema at number four. That is a fantastic mm -hmm. record. Also future mm -hmm. classic album. Uh, Honor Found in Decay by Neurosis. Yeah, it's good. that is a very good Neurosis record. Yeah. Probably the best of the last... Pfft, three yeah. i would say at least they released many albums so that does that is bigger than you know so like that's you're talking fucking what is it now i guess like yeah you're looking at a good 15 years yeah. and three albums so in the last 15 years i'd say that is the best one yeah it took me some time to get into that record and i i doubt i would have felt that strongly about it at the end of 2012 but now i'm kind of like yeah that's fair enough yeah, uh cvi by royal thunder i don't think i've heard yep. that record people went mad for that record it's a pretty good record i mean royal thunder are not really uh a band who i can see how good they are i'm not really that into them but they've got that kind of stevie nicks um thing about them haven't they so you know right. like if people yeah i think i've heard a record of theirs called wick which i yeah liked i was like oh this is good um but yeah, i don't that was know is that the one that came out after this oh maybe no, maybe it was. it was wick was the one that people went that went really mad for because there was one maybe. that people went fucking nuts for and it might have been wick okay. actually i can't remember anyway i quite like wick it was good yeah. uh sentence to life by black breath i have a feeling we're gonna have slightly different opinions on this but go on what a fucking record that is yeah we've got different Face opinions of the damned <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. Um, Dead End Kings by Catatonia. That's one of my favourite Catatonia records. I don't think you've heard it though, have you? Uh, I haven't. No. no. That's, it's a good record. That's a good record. And number nine, Coloss by Meshuggah. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Fair uh, dues. Okay. Oh. Oh, oh, oh no, it sounded like you had something more you wanted no, to say. No, we've spoken about. No, no, we've spoken about that before, haven't we? And yeah. I was always like, ah, you know, that's probably a difficult, difficult album to go into. Mm -hmm. But, you know, anyway. Uh, Dark Roots of Earth by Testament make it a pretty good top 10, I'd say. It's pretty, it's pretty good top 10, yeah. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah. Uh, All We Love We Leave Behind by Converge, your least favourite Converge record. but It I... is. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, apart from uh, Halo and Haystack, which yeah. I kind of almost don't count as a proper album. So yeah. I, I, I really love that album. I kind of accept that it's flawed, but I just love it. I really, really like it. So I'm totally cool with that. Um, down. He's not. Stop sucking up to Bannon. He's not going to kiss you. No, I'm just saying. I, I think it's a great record. What's your All beef? Right. Uh, I think you suck sucking <laughs> up to fucking Baloo, aren't you? <laughs> I think it was like number four in my albums of the year i think it? it was really high yeah i really liked it uh down down four part one the purple ep mm. now there's two things here isn't there number one 
This is the albums of 2012. Yes. And a four-track EP yes. should not be, and this annoyed me at the time, should not be here. No. And secondly, even if we were counting EPs, it's not classic down, is it? it it's the worst down release by quite some distance, I would say. I think it probably is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, nah, yeah. People did go kind of mad for it when it came out. And I do remember listening to it and being like, I really want to understand what people are hearing because I am not hearing it. Um, I thought Phil Anselmo sounded really tired on it. I mean, this was pre um, white power, wasn't it? But you know, only yeah, about a couple well. of years. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, no, no. Pre, pre, pre everyone knowing about it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I think that's bizarre, and it's not its only inclusion either. So, um, Eremita by Ishan. I that's not one I've heard. Oh, it's good that one yeah ah. really good i think cool yeah okay uh yellow and green by baroness which was my personal album of the year that year number 14 yeah, brilliant yep fantastic mm -hmm. the seer by swans at number 15 i remember this getting into being quite surprised that this had got in there because you know it's not your typical metal hammer fair i guess but you know uh it's yeah it's it's what the swans do it's really 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 fucking hard it makes that fucking neurosis album sound like bloody you know scooter or something do you know yeah. what i mean it's it's, it's hard work the seer well, it probably was bullied in by Dom Lawson and Jonathan Seltzer, wasn't it? <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, yes, I I listened to The Seer at the time it came out, but this was around the time where I didn't really get Swans. So it was very much like, I can appreciate that this is an incredible record, but it's giving me a headache kind of thing. Uh, I must go back to it, though, because since, yeah. you know, going into I've not listened to it for years, so, mm. you know, mm. I'm... It's actually... Things. It's on our writer's review, so... Maybe we should. Uh, we'll do that. Up. We'll yeah. do that one. Yeah. We promise. Uh, Hex Vessel, No Holier Temple. I don't know loads about Hex Vessel, really. I, the, I, I didn't listen to this. I don't know much about Hex Vessel, to okay. be honest. No. Uh, Sexual Harassment by Turbo Negro. Not heard that album, but I imagine it sounds like Turbo Negro. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is fine. Uh, De Vermis <laughs> Mysterious by High on Fire. Uh, did I listen to that one? <sighs> I, 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 I did listen to that one and it's been a while i quite like high on fire when they're good they're really good snakes with the vines really good right. um there are some good wing uh, good 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 wings i think <laughs> i'm thinking of blessed black wings, blessed black wings yeah. albums good. um they got some good albums but i am not a massive fan of high on fire not that i'm a massive fan as in when you say you're not a massive fan of something sometimes people go oh don't you like them it's like, i'm not saying i don't like them yeah. i'm saying i'm not a massive fan of them i.e i have a few albums that i like but i don't ever feel the need to listen to everything and i think i did yeah. listen to that but i don't remember having a strong opinion either way of it i think high on fire just one of those bands you only really need like three records mm. you know like... i think i saw they supported fear factory weirdly at the forum in 2000 i think it was 2012 uh so it would have been on this record so i've probably seen them playing a bunch of stuff from it okay but i don't remember much okay. about it remember matt pike's big belly <laughs> All right. Uh, 2012 by Killing Joke at number 19. You've probably got a lot to say about this. I think this is actually, um, for me, probably the least good Killing Joke album of the last mm. decade, of, of the kind of since youth came back into the band. I think, um, obviously, Absolute Descent, which I gave you on Trade Off once, is the comeback album with youth. And it's fucking amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah. I felt like this was a bit of a drop off and I think they've kind of they've hit the midpoint between those two things since then oh, uh, okay. with their albums um, like Pylon is actually much better than I 
probably gave it credit for initially. I don't think, yeah, I'm not sure if, it, yeah. I mean, I might go back and listen to this one, but it's one, it's, it's, I, I actually think, you know, the newer Killing Joke stuff is pretty good, but this is one of the ones where I was like, and it's a bit of a shame because Absolute Descent was my favorite album of 2000, and, I want to say 2009 or 10, 2010, wasn't it? Um, and yeah, this was a sort of slightly, disappointing follow-up hmm, okay i remember people talking about it quite a lot at the time i don't think i heard it but yeah i remember two people talking about yeah. it yeah uh number 20 uh dead set on living by cancer bats my favorite cancer bats record yeah it's a great record it's 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 dun, 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 dun. ah rats it's it's yeah. I, I it is it is the best one i'm sorry it's fucking great um it's really good yeah it might be you're saying hell destroyer aren't you yeah, probably. Probably Hell Destroyer for me. Nah, it's Dead Sound Living. Kerrang! Albums of the Year. We start with Stephen Fa uh, Steve's favourite band. Enter Shikari with a flash flood of colour. Um, Is that a good one? I don't even know. Uh, I, yeah, it's one of the better ones, I would say. Um, I do think it's too high on this list On on in an incredible year. Um, Kerrang absolutely bummed Shikari at this point. Kerrang, we're going through a mm. weird old time in oh, yeah. 2012. They're just, about, they're just about to lose their minds, aren't they, Kerrang? Yes. Just about to like buy a Porsche and start going out with a 21-year-old's Instagram model yes. and have a massive midlife crisis. <laughs> as, as this list reflects, it is like, it has runs which are like, yes. And then they just throw something in and you're like, okay. So uh, mm. let's start. So a flash flood of colour and Shikari, fine. Koino Yakan by Deftones at number two. Yes, please. Although, can I just say, mm. I'm going to call bullshit on that a little bit because I know when these lists have to be put in, mm. as do you. Mm. And Koino Yokan came out in December that year. Uh, or very, very late November. I think it was November, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, uh, but I know that people would have had to put their list in before they fucking heard this record that record they might and they there's... might have had it in advance but i don't think they would have had it very long and it's certainly very high i mean i think it deserves a number two i think it was my second me too i do but, i just mm. was i remember at the time being like not that annoyed that it didn't get into the hammer because it's not even in the hammer top 20 no 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 and it deserves to be it's a fucking amazing yeah. record um weather systems by anathema at number three very mm -hmm. happy about that this is the six by while she sleeps at number four i think that's fair enough because um yeah it's a good album it's that. a decent record uh <sighs> collide <laughs> collide with the sky by pierce the veil i i think is ah. the first indication is the first absolutely what the fuck entry on this entire yeah. list at number five fuck that band I, I mean, it really does stand out quite a lot oh my god it does because next is all we love believe behind by converge at number <laughs> six which you know i'm, I'm happy with that uh uno yep. by green day <laughs> at number yeah. seven i mean Ooh. they kind of were gonna get you it's yeah they were gonna get yeah you. yeah it's green day uh, but then yeah. Funeral Beach by Blood Commander, number eight. Yes. That's amazing to see that in there. Yeah. Fucking great to see that. Because, you know, they weren't, they, well, they're not big, but they certainly weren't. No. They weren't. Know, big I saw at them. All. They played, they played the Old Blue Last. The, old Blue Last. Yeah. I mean, they did play the Old Blue Last, but I saw them at the Barfly in Camden the first time I saw them. Oh, right. Yeah. On this, and it would have been this year. And they were amazing. Mm. Mm. Um, 
It's the best I've ever seen them. Oh, cool. And they were, you know, it was great. And that album's amazing, but there was hardly anyone there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's great to see. And like, that is a wicked record. Funeral Beach, mm. fucking great. Uh, Go by Motion City Soundtrack. I, I never really got into Motion City Soundtrack, so I can't really comment. I didn't, no. I bought whatever the one was in 2001 or two. Okay. And I never really listened to it much. All right. Uh, Resolution by Lamb of God at number 10. Yeah, okay. That's a pr- yeah, it's a decent record. It's decent, it's fine. Uh, a much better record, in my opinion. Ideas by Hawkeyes. Yes. Yeah, far better. Fucking great far record. Better. I think that was like number one or two for me. But yeah, but all, I was doing my list. Also wicked to see that in there because another band who weren't big at all still aren't particularly, you know. Um, that is wicked mm. to see that. Uh, the Serenity of Triumph by Winter Uh I don't know this record, but it's... Uh, I don't either. It's early-ish Winter Phyllis, which is probably good, I would imagine. Um, on the Impossible Pass by the Menzingers. Yeah, it's nice to see that. Yeah, right? I mean, I wasn't really aware of the Menzingers at this point, but nope, you know, neither was I. You know, no, I, I didn't become good. aware of them until the next record. Uh, the Connection by Papa Roach at fourteen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, changing, <laughs> changing tune by Lower Than Atlantis at number fifteen. Is that the one with Love Someone Else on it? Uh, I don't know. It's got an elephant on the cover and it was too long. As are my re- recollections of it. <laughs> um, no, I'm not sure I've listened to it. I didn't okay. like it. It was it was the beginning of them going really poppy. It's not good. Yeah. And there it is. Number 16, L'Enfant Sauvage uh, by Gajira underneath a bunch of stuff that it really shouldn't be underneath. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, number 16. I mean, it's not too bad, I guess. At least it's in there. But yeah i mean you know you've sort of said it uh there's nothing there bar poor deftones maybe hawk maybe maybe hawkeyes i do think that hawkeyes album is wicked but is it really better than this it's different it's just very different um i think i'd agree with you i think the only two records i put above it would be deftones or hawkeyes yeah and i think you know blood command again fucking totally different but really 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 great everything else i would struggle to make a case for mm, yeah yeah agreed. even though i think there are some very good there's some very good albums there yeah you know uno uh <laughs> <Shikari>. <laughs> all, all my favorites uh dead Cell living by cancer bats at number 17 yes mm-hmm. like it king animal by soundgarden at number 18 your thoughts on that steve so not a good record king animal was it mm. uh, not a good record at all i think I got very, very excited by Soundgarden coming back, I have to say. And I think I was probably much keener on the record at the time than I probably should have been. Uh, it's mm. not great. It has its moments. Birds of Bones. Birds of Bones. Bones of Birds. Track six, something like that, is fucking brilliant. And would, like, if I was doing the best of Soundgarden, would absolutely end up on it. But it's probably the only song that would end up on it, to be honest. Yeah, it's not a good record, that. Um, not at all handwritten by the gaslight anthem this is their fourth album and for me and here's a controversial controversial thing here's a controversial thing to say my second favorite gaslight anthem record handwritten bloody hell bloody hell i've only heard the first two so i couldn't even tell you really you've not heard yeah oh mate this record's fucking brilliant it's on okay I'm sure it's on writer's review. Maybe I'll bump it up. It's fucking excellent, this album. Yeah, really, really good. Um, mm. X Lives by... We'll do it after we do um, uh, the, the Elmark Glassjaw writer's review. Once we've done that, then... <laughs> Our colour green's just been added. Thank you, Adam Valley. Uh, X Lives. Not doing it. 
X lives um, by Every Time I Die. Um, yeah, this is this is a good album. I, I feel like X lives was received. Um, I don't think any Every Time I Die records have been received badly, probably since, you know, um, Gutter Phenomenon onwards. Um, but it was the one that was received the least well, I would say. Um, but and I think that's probably fair enough, actually. When I think about what they've done, it probably is. If you go, what is it? Gutter Phenomenon, Big Dirty, um, New Junk Aesthetic, X Lives um from parts unknown and uh low teens i would say that x lies probably is the worst of those and you know what it probably is but fuck it's, me it's a great record still, i want to be dead with my friend yeah it's, I want to be dead with my, yeah. it's so I, good i mean really this is just me going aren't every time i die fucking amazing they're really good. um but yeah uh, what a what a great band uh yellow and green baroness at 21 should be number one in my opinion quite but, low that isn't it yeah mm. a bit low dead silence by billy talent at 22 i'd kind of checked out billy talent at this point have you yeah is that the one with surprise surprise on it i don't know, don't know does he? he doesn't know that's I don't a good know. song i think it is i think it might be but don't again quote me on that okay uh you can quote me on the next album being fucking rubbish even though i've never heard it <laughs> you can quote yeah. me on that Bones by Young Guns. Uh, yes, you can quote me on saying it's fucking rubbish, even though I've never heard it. Uh, Atlas by Parkway Drive at 24. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a good album. Atlas yeah. is definitely good. I think it's probably one of the ones where I was like, okay, we've had a few of these. And I re if Parkway Drive had carried on doing that after Atlas, mm. I think I would probably be a little bit like, oh, I'm not really interested in that mm. band as much. They've got, you know, a few albums that I really liked. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, Atlas was the point where I was like, uh, you know they've done more of this stuff that's quite good yeah okay and i feel they would have petered out and started going down if they carried on doing that so fair play to them because they haven't done that which yeah. to me makes atlas now sound a lot better than i kind of probably initially thought it was when i first heard it okay cool yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah that makes total sense good uh house of golden bones part one by stone sour this seems a little bit silly doesn't it <laughs> Now. yeah <laughs> um i don't really know all that much about stone sour at all but um i think this is actually considered <laughs> one of the least good stone sour records isn't it jesus imagine that well quite. imagine being the least good stone sour album. <laughs> i don't know if it's the least good but i don't think it's considered very good certainly house mm. of golden bones as a whole is like yeah probably probably you shouldn't be doing a double album lads yeah how about that uh empire of light can i go further and go probably you shouldn't be doing an album <laughs> lads empire of light by devil sold of soul we were talking about devil i Soul's really like it yeah yeah i really like this record mm, it's mm. really really good i've not heard it so i can't can't mm. comment but head down by rival sons <sighs> whatever no nah. uh vultures by axe wound wasn't that liam from cancer bats and matt tuck that's it yeah oh god i forgot <laughs> yeah. i forgot that even existed was that any good i don't even remember it wasn't really very good to be honest and right. i think the reason it wasn't very good is that uh matt, well, matt tuck was involved matt, <laughs> matt, matt tuck was involved <laughs> let's just be honest with it matt tuck isn't very good at music and uh he sort of ruined something which well, no, I suppose he could, you know, he came, he came up with it. I think it was his idea, him and the, like, the, mm. I think initially it was just going to be Liam singing everything. Right. And then they went, yeah, but you're the one who's bigger, so you have to sing as well. So there's a few bits where Matt Tuck comes in and 
and it's like <laughs> over it and it's like oh, oh god and also you know you got Liam from Cancer Bats in there and you don't you don't really you can't really write good sort of punk rock songs because you're a, you're a hack there we go anyway. uh, that's Axwinged um, I'm a UFO in this city by Lost Alone I vaguely recall seeing Lost Alone and being like eh yeah don't know don't care. Uh, at 30, Clockwork Angels by Rush. Uh, this is a great record. I don't know if you know this record. Is it? Um, I've never heard it. Mm. You give it away. You could buy it on Classic Rock. Could you buy Classic Rock magazine? You get the big CD pack with it. Remember they did that? When magazines yeah. could make money? I, I th- Happy days. <laughs> I think that's the version I bought. Um, yeah, mm. it's 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 a really good record, Clockwork Angels. Um, really good latter-day uh, proc record. Um, the Cursed Remain Cursed by Vision of Disorder great i record i fucking mean oh my god i love vision disorder yeah i really do you know i do mm. everyone listening who knows anything about me knows that i do so let's just move on <laughs> <laughs> uh 2012 my killing joke we've already discussed one wing by the yeah. chariot Ah, oh, the fucking great. It's a great record. Yeah, fantastic album. It's a great record, One Wing. It's their last one, wasn't How it? How good were the. It was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw them that year at Heavy Fest and they were just. I couldn't believe how good they were. Mm. I honestly couldn't believe how good they were. Yeah. I still can't. Oh, I wish I'd seen well, that. Because it happened. Oh, my <laughs> God, mate. It was so great. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, at 34, even on the worst nights by mixtapes. Don't remember that at all. I don't remember that at all. Nope. Uh, 35, Astrea by Rolo Tomasi. This is a great record, but I think it's before most people got on board the Rolo yeah, Tomasi train. Uh, it's, For me, it it's, was, yeah. Astrea is a great record. The third album. Really, really good. Uh, Daybreaker by Architects at 36. It's quite low, isn't it? It's quite it is. low considering it's yeah. such a big band and all that kind of jazz. Yeah, my favourite Architects record, which is wrong, apparently. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it is wrong, we, yeah. we talked about Architects a lot. We don't need to talk about it. <laughs> uh, Sentence to Life by Black Breath. Have we, what did we say? <laughs> <laughs> Sentence to Life by Black Breath, we've already covered. Great. British Lion by Steve Harris. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard it, so I'm not going to have a go. Well, I'm sure it's better. I'm sure it's better than Young Guns. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to diss Steve Harris. I love him, so fuck it. Uh, Eulogy for the Damned by Orange Goblin. We've already discussed uh, Woods. Woods of You Plea with Woods Five, Grey Skies, and Electric Light. This is one of these bands who I hear loads of amazing things about, but have never actually checked out. Um, are they brilliant, Steve? Do you know much of them? No, no don't know. Don't know. Okay. Not a clue. Sorry, I never listened to them, I'm afraid. Um, hopefully you have listened to Hot Cakes by The Darkness, <laughs> which I'm yeah, sure is a very not very album. good. Um, really, no. yeah, I, I like The Darkness, but this is, not good that album it wasn't great i've not heard infamous by motionless and white but it's shit i uh yeah it is there's a cover of dragula by rogue zombie on it which is the best thing on it and it's really not very good uh yeah rubbish yeah uh misery wizard by pilgrim i don't know don't know that yeah uh la voyage de la lumière by alcest this is a fucking brilliant record Mm. um and i think I mean, I'm not surprised. It's good to see f- them in there. It's good to see them in there. I'm not surprised it's at number 44 because they weren't super unknown at that point. No. Uh, but that like, was a great like record. The, like the, They were super unknown, did you say? Hey! Like the, like the Soundgarden album. Oh. Anyway, There's no oh, no connection, no connection there <laughs> no. whatsoever, but it's fine. Uh, Honor Found in Light by Neurosis at number five. We talked about 
It's honor found in decay. I don't know why they put honor found in light. Oh, you're absolutely right, aren't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. we get to go. People, we, you know, when you accidentally say something on here and then someone tweets you and go, well, actually, you said it. And you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, you're right. I just accidentally said something. It's good to do it the other way, isn't it? Sometimes. someone else. Sometimes we're just reading what is written on the on the script. Yeah. If that's the script. Yeah. Uh, Floral Green by Title Fight. We talked a little bit about Title Fight quite recently. I can't remember why, annoyingly. Mm. Um, but you don't really know title fight do you but um I, I don't know i'd know there was a lot of that thing was happening mm. that thing and i'd never really managed to uh really get into it it wasn't really what i was that interested in particularly at that point because i don't know i just felt like i had loads of stuff that was already like it that had happened if that makes sense yeah i mean i really i really like title fight i kind of got into them through walter Schreifel's um uh mm. producing their first record floral green is there oh third i think it's very good okay oh. i do now you've said that i remember listening to the one purely because water was involved in it yeah yeah i'm not sure which one it was though i thought it was all right he produced shed i think which i think is their first mm -hmm. album i might be getting that wrong uh but title fight were great i really, really liked them i think that was their last record sexual harassment by turbo negro again kind of covered it. it probably sounds like turbo negro don't panic by all time low very low at 48 was well, such a shame very low <laughs> very fucking high right. <laughs> the strange case of hailstorm by hailstorm at number 49 uh <laughs> it is a strange case as well isn't it yeah it's quite quite a strange case well yeah that was their debut wasn't it i don't know okay i feel like it i don't was know debut. it might have been i mean yeah is, is it strange that hailstorm have got massive i remember seeing hailstorm supporting slash and going well this band are going to be fucking huge aren't they i don't like them but they're going to be massive yeah she's good she's great i just think their drummer's a fucking knobhead though oh is there a personal beef there i, don't I just think you watch it just like he's just got big drumsticks and it's really <laughs> it's just a cop are you saying he comes across as he's making cop. making up for something um I, yeah I, maybe I, I don't really recall the drummer of hailstorm i, I remember they they played i mean check this out for a fucking thing that i had to go and do right i went and did uh i on on Bullet for My Valentine on Temper Temper played the roundhouse <laughs> and they were supported by Hellstorm and Miss May I, right? Oh. And I went along. I have no idea why I went along. Oh, it's because I was about to do that, my infamous <laughs> my infamous interview with Matt Tuck where he wouldn't <laughs> talk to me. And um, and they went, oh, you come to the show the day before. And out of politeness, I went, oh, all right. If I'd have known he was going to be a fucking shit to me, I would have just gone, oh, no, I don't want to go to the gig. <laughs> Uh, so I went along out of politeness and because I had a mate who liked Bullet for My Valentine. Um, we're not mates anymore. And uh, and Hellstorm played and they did a support slot, obviously. Mm. And their drummer did a solo in the middle of it and he did it, the solo. And then they gave him massive sticks, like like the size of your body stick, big drumstick. And he was doing that and he was like, uh, and he kept standing up and like, and he had his own mic and he wasn't really doing backing vocals and he was talking to them. And I was like, mate, you're fucking sit down. You're the drummer. <laughs> sit down. Shut up. Stop being annoying. Stop pulling focus. Keep the fucking beat. It's not about you, is it? What? Lars, oh, just Lars Ulrich started drumming for Hellstorm. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, but Lars Ulrich was playing good songs in between <laughs> as well. Uh, Hellstorm. They are what they are. Yeah. Uh, and then at number 50, we've got Blues Funeral by Mark Lanigan Band. Uh, that's the one with flowers on it. Um, yep uh it's good I, I can't remember much about it but it is very very good it's nice to see it in there it's not 
that it's i think it's a kind of a, a middling mark lanigan yeah. mark lanigan doesn't really have middling albums but what i would say is there's a bunch of albums where you go when it's on you go this is really good and then you don't really go back to it because he has got such a huge back catalog and i would say blues funeral is one of them yeah i think that's fair to say yeah uh so i just wanted to pop to terrorizer that was the last place i wanted to go in terms of albums of the year and number one mm-hmm. we've got all we love we leave behind by converge that is somewhat surprising um because even though it's a bit isn't it even whilst I, I i love that record don't get me wrong i think it's really great but i do agree with you that it's one of the i don't think it's their worst album um bar halo in a haystack I, I i wouldn't say that but uh it is one of the weaker later ones i think it'd be fair to say but yeah number one in terrorizer so what is the worst one then the the worst record that they've done oh, you are gonna go fucking livid when i say that but i've never really vibed with when forever comes crashing oh raise eyebrows uh, uh okay i'm not gonna beat you up don't worry <laughs> he will next time he sees me we're not in the same room at the moment listeners but next time we're in the same room he'll beat me up uh yellow and green by baroness number two should have been number one but i love that record book burner by pig destroyer number three Yes, please. Excellent. Ex- yeah, this is a good list, Excellent, isn't it? excellent record. Honor Found in Decay by Neurosis at number four. They managed to spell it right mm-hmm. as well. Um, Epicloud by Devin Tazza Project at five. Yes. The Seer by Swans at six. Yes. Utilitarian by Napalm Death at seven. Is mm-hmm. that good? I'm good. assuming it is. Obviously. Okay. Uh, Harmonicraft by Torsh at number eight, which is fucking great. Probably my favorite Torsh record. I don't know if I've. Have I listened to that one? I probably, probably have. Oh. I can't remember. Harmonicross, brilliant, man. Um, oh, okay. 2012 by Killing Joke at number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Le Voyage de Lumi by Alcest at number 10. Very, very good. A Sorrow and Extinction by Paul Bearer at number 11. That's cool because yeah. I don't think anyone else would have been talking about Paul Bearer at that point. No, no, not in 2012. Not a fucking no. chance. Sorrow and Extinction is their debut album. So um, fair play to Terrorizer for jumping on that. Mm-hmm. Ritter by Enslaved at number 12. Probably my favourite Enslaved album. Is it? think so is it really mm, okay i don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i do really like it i said it yeah. said that to be controversial <laughs> i do really but... like it i really yeah, like it's good I, I i think it's good as well but it's definitely not my favorite okay all right yeah. Yeah. What are agree do? to disagree with you. <laughs> <Hang> on. <laughs> um or, uh no absolutes in human suffering by gaza at number 13 very nice to see that there i'd say Gaza are a fucking brilliant band, but apparently the one of them's a bit of a wrong one. Oh yeah, one of them is a wrong one, which is why they yeah. um, disbanded and then formed cult leader mm. with the person who wasn't a wrong one. But uh, mm. but the Gaza were fucking amazing. Sentence to Life uh, by Black Breath at number fourteen. We've talked about the Theronody yep. of Triumph by Woods Phyllis. We've kind of talked about as well. Uh, at sixteen, The Hunt by Grand Magus probably sounds like a Grand mm. Magus album. I'm guessing. Some um, sort of Euro pop thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, not something that we're interested in. One Wing by the Chariot at number 17. Yes, please. And then there it is at number 18, L'Enfant Sauvage by Gojira. Quite low for Terrorizer. Quite low. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I don't know if Terrorizer at this point would have been like, ah, they've sold out or anything like that. I mean, they probably wouldn't have been if they put it well, on I number thought 18. So. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, then we go to Widowmaker by Dragged Into Sunlight. Um, I've got a lot of respect for Dragged Into Sunlight, although I do find them very oppressing. Uh, yeah, 
<laughs> but I do. Really but I, 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 I've seen them live a couple of times. I am like, like, you are very good at what you do, but I'm just going to pop to the toilet and cry for, for mm. 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. Gallows, self-titled album at number 20. Yeah, very nice. I've seen this anywhere else. Mm. Yeah, it's a all right album. I yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I kind of feel like it deserves a place in the albums of the year. But yeah, 20 seems... Well, we just need right. Pierce the Veil and fucking Hellstorm and Tinker Rangers on the app, so fucking Lily it does, yeah. Yeah. Um, you do here, but, you know. Galloping Blasphemy by Satan's Wrath. Don't know this record, but I love that I title. I feel that that's been made up by the <laughs> heavy metal fucking generator thing. Yeah, I don't know I don't know what that is. I kind, no I kind of wish we'd called this podcast Galloping Blasphemy now. Because uh, <laughs> it basically that's what it is, isn't it? Uh, CVI by Royal Thunder at number twenty-two, which we sort of discussed. Uh, Lille, uh, Lille F sixty-five by Saint Vitus at twenty-three. I imagine that sounds like Saint Vitus. Any mm -hmm. anything to contribute on that? Nope. Curse by Wooden's Throne at twenty-four. We're getting into stuff that I don't really know. I don't know about you, Steve. No, I don't know that. I'm afraid. Uh, the Feather Tips the Serpent Scale by Eagle Twin. That's interesting to see that. Now, I'd only really discovered the Eagle Twin in the last couple of years, so interested to see. I, I don't know who they are. To okay. Honest, so uh, Weather Systems by Anathema at 26. Yes, too low, but um, very nice. Devermis Mysterious by High on Fire at 27. Uh, mm -hmm. Oro Opus Alter Oro Opus Primum by Euphemamut. Euphemamut. Uh, again, another band that I've seen the name of loads and I've just never listened to. Exactly the same. I, I don't know mm. anything about them, I have to say, really. Uh, All Hell the Void by A Neighbour at 29. That's all right. I've heard that before. I've, okay. I've definitely heard that before. But right. yeah, I think somebody gave that to me. And I think maybe Merlin, when I started doing the Metal Health podcast, gave me that. And I was like, oh, this is all right. Okay. Yeah, it's quite good. Uh, Coloss by Meshuggah at number 30, which we covered. Mm -hmm. Vanitas by Anal Nathrak at 31. That's like one of the classic Anal Nathrak records, isn't it? Um, I don't know what's considered the classics and non-classics, but what I would say is I really like it. Okay. That's the one with the lady skull on the front. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I know that one. Yes, I really like yeah. that record as well. Yeah, um, that's good. Uh, that is good record. Um... No Holier Temple by Hex Vessel. Well, don't don't really know about Clockwork Oranges by Rush. I've already talked about X Lies by Every Time did I Die. Did you just say Clockwork Oranges? Did I? I probably did. did. Yeah. did. Clockwork, did. <laughs> Clockwork Angels by Rush. X Lies by Every Time I Die at the <laughs> number thirty-five. Wreck by Unsane. I like Unsane, but I've not heard that. Okay. Um, this uh, Wizards of Your band have come up again at thirty-six. J.K. Flesh Posthuman at thirty-seven. Don't know. don't know what that is. is that related to jk rowling at all <laughs> i imagine so uh yeah. hooded menace effigies of evil at 38 i remember hooded menace and i never listened to them sorry world <laughs> uh, i don't remember them at all um i do yeah but here we go your album of the year at the time as far as i recall yeah. the burning suns feed the rhino at number 39 yeah which on reflection seems a bit much to <laughs> given that album of the year but i tell you what i listened back to that um about six months ago because i was like god i said that didn't i is it actually any good and it is really good it is really good there's about five or six absolutely fucking brilliant songs on that record it, and I think maybe they followed it up the sorrow and the silence with a or the sound of the sorrow or the sorrow, sorrow, and, the silence sorrow, and, the sorrow and something like that. Sorrow and the extinction, I want to say. Okay, well you can say that. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to correct you. Uh, I'll wait for Twitter to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
but I think overall that is a better record. But I do think the best songs they ever did were on the Burning Suns, personally. I actually agree with all of that. Yeah, um, it is It is weird that like no one really talks about that record anymore. And I think Feed the Rhino coming back and releasing a not very good album has kind of done mm-hmm. them quite a big di- disservice because it feels like the first three records aren't really talked about at all. All of which are, are really good records. Um, I do think number one in 2012 is a bit OTT, I have to say. <laughs> but I'm actually, yeah, well, I'm actually personally, got... I'm really glad you put it at number one because it was the reason I checked out the record. So thank you. Okay. Uh, so right. you know, there you go. Um, uh, buh, buh, buh. Oh, number 40, Silencing Machine by Nactmysticism. Oh, Nactmysticism. Nactmystium. Fucking hell. Nactmystium. Nactmystium. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. He's a fucking lunatic, isn't he, that geezer? Apparently I mean, I so. liked Assassins was the one that I liked. I thought it was really good. I don't remember that record. Uh, yeah. Go on. <laughs> I, thought that Assass- I thought that Assassin's record was fucking wicked. Whether yeah. whether he's a loon or not, I thought it was fucking great. Um, a yeah, Shadow it was very good. A shadow Play for Yesterday's by Forest of Stars at 41. They're another band who are talked a lot by, uh, about a lot by the Jonathan Seltzers of this world, but I don't think I've ever heard. Them. It is. Yeah. No, me neither. Uh, Jess and the Ancient Ones by Jess and the Ancient Ones. Never heard of it. Sounds Tom Darecore. <laughs> that sounds like to me. A eulogy, eulogy for the Downs by Orange Goblin, which we sort of talked about. Uh, Tragic mm-hmm. Idol by Paralyzed Lost. Don't think I've heard that one, but you're more of a Paralyzed Lost expert than me. Do you know that one? Yeah, uh, that is all right, that one. Okay. Ma- I would say. Mass 5 by Armin Ra. Now, fair play to Terrorizer for actually having Armin Ra in here and no one else did. But considering how revered that band are now it is sort of weird to look back on these lists and note that they're not on kerrang at all they're not on hammer at all and they're very low down on terrorizer very low down yeah Um, it's mad isn't it yeah i guess did people just not know well i I, i'll confess i don't think i'd heard of armin armin ra in 2012 i don't know when i discovered them i i I remember when i first saw them i saw them at roadburn in 20 16 i want to say and i was like oh shit this band of bonkers and they were still on mass five then because uh i yeah. streamed mass six for the independent i think that was 2017 i think they didn't they they supported cult of luna around this time because i mean obviously like a couple of years later they do beyond the redshift and they were one of the bands that everyone was fucking yeah. going crazy for yeah but i think it was when they played Played the garage with Cult of Luna? Yeah, possibly. It feels like Mass 5 put them on the map, but it feels <laughs> like it took like five years to put them on the map, you know. Um, but I'm glad to see it in here. I, I wonder if like these re- lists were redone, if that album would get a higher placing and yeah, be in yeah, the yeah, Hammer yeah. and be in the Kerrang. But yeah, interesting one. Uh, be d- interesting to see where they redid it, where <coughs> um, the Burning Suns would be <laughs> on all of these lists, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dead End Kings by Catatonia at forty six. That's that's a really good record, I, I assure mm. you. Negative Black by Black Shape of Nexus, I don't know at forty seven. Me neither. Uh Individuation by Latitudes at forty eight. That's not that bad. Uh, that isn't the band that we reviewed like a couple of years ago, is it? Who released that really good post metal record? Or is that a different latitudes? I don't know. Uh I don't know. I don't remember at all um the, i don't remember this record a latitude's individuation in any way so i have no idea you'd have to tell me 
It is. Yeah. Um, we fine. we reviewed this record called Part Island in mm. April 2019, which we both liked very, very much. And this yeah. album appears to be their third record, maybe. Oh, no, it's mm. their second. Sorry. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so I haven't heard that record, but we both really no. liked that album. So maybe that's one w- worth going back to. At 49, Ides of Gemini, Constantin- Constantinople, uh, which I don't really know. Don't know about you. I don't know. No, sorry, I don't. And then rounding the whole thing off, we have The Curse Remain Cursed by Vision of Disorder number 50. Yes, please. That's fine. With me. Very good. Yeah, very good. Um, so the commercial performance for this album, Kajira released Love and Fall Sauvage worldwide on June the t- uh, in June 2012 on Roadrunner Records. The album reached number 34 on the Billboard 200, selling 11,000 copies in the US in its first week of release. That is pretty good for what is ostensibly a death metal record. Number 34 mm. on the Billboard 200. I should say yeah. also, in terms of the official UK charts, it was the first album ever to gain a position on the official UK album charts and got to number 53, which is also pretty good, I think. That's pretty um, good. They've only got onto the charts with one other record since then. Uh, but... They've only released one. They've only, they've also, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> ah. um, L'Enfant Sauvage was 104 places higher than the first week rank earned by the way of all flesh. Uh, this is on the Billboard 200. It reached uh, number nine on the Billboard Tastemaker Albums chart and number 13 on US Top Rock Albums chart. The album reached a peak position on number six on the Billboard Hard Rock Albums chart. It landed in the top 40 albums chart in six European countries, including in France, where it entered the top albums chart at number seven and the digital album charts at number 17. Um, in March, the band undertook a handful of concerts throughout the UK as support act for Ghost on the Jägermeister Music Tour. I believe we were both at the London show for this yeah. tour, weren't we? You're, you're jumping ahead because at this point, I this is the second time I saw Gajira, but they also did a, a UK headlining tour at Coco. Oh, which was the yes. first time that I ever saw them with Clone. To that. Um, yes, I did. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, I just never managed to see them before this. Same, and I don't know quite why that was. And they were just incredible, jaw-droppingly incredible. I mean. I had no idea that they were that good live. Mm. I had absolutely no idea. I just assumed they'd be a quite never quite a typical standard stand there and play with your heads down extreme metal band. That's what I thought I was going to go and see. But they had the kind of like Kajira do have live. They sort of have well, that's not really the same thing as the Dillinger Escape Plan or somebody like that. They have the kind of a similar energy on stage when they play to you know. What, almost like a mathcore band. I mean, it's not the same level of throwing things around. It's not the kind of drooling tongue out the side, Ben Wyman, like, you know, like he's gonna been possessed by a demon. Mm. But they certainly do move around. They certainly do give off so much fucking energy. Um, but they're playing this kind of insanely riff-heavy, groovy, technical, brutal, ethereal death metal thing. It's just... They were fucking amazing that night. Amazing. And it just, you know, it it completely... I went from being like, oh, I really like Kajira 
I really, really like them. I loved from Master Sirius and it took me a while to get into the Way of All Flesh and this new album's good. This new album's really good to just being like, they're the best. They're the fucking best. I would pretty much just back up everything you said there, I would say. Um, this, uh, like before going into Coco, I was uh, all I knew was I was really impressed with the new record, like really, really impressed with it. I think at this point I hadn't even picked up from Miles to Sirius. Uh, so mm. I think I went in only knowing the material from L'Enfant Sauvage and The Way of All Flesh. They played 13 songs in total, uh, four from L'Enfant Sauvage, four from Way of All Flesh, three from from Master Sirius, one from Terry Incognito, and one from The Link. Started with Explosia, which I remember being absolutely fucking massive. Ended with The Gift of Guilt, which I also remember being absolutely mm. fucking massive um, also played flying whales backbone the heaviest matter of the universe l'enfant sauvage the art of dying toxic garbage island wisdom comes oroboros uh, a drum solo there's very few times where you want to see a drum solo live but if mario duplantier is doing a drum solo you probably want to see it uh, 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 we just say as well he didn't just do a drum solo he did a fucking guitar riff solo as well yeah like he got the drums uh, he got off the drums and he starts playing the guitar out front and you would think like bit shit that but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really at great. all no 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 uh clone the axe and uh Vasuti. i i mean yeah it was absolutely sublime that show uh and i remember the sports being really good as well it was clone and someone else as far it as was I can recall. yeah it was another french band wasn't it mm, mm. um who are the kind of the jazzy uh they're like a jazz they kind of they do sort of like um or is that the band I'm talking about? They do the sort of like uh, New Orleans jazz mixed with metal thing. Do you remember that band? No. Um, oh, fuck. Because I went to see them afterwards. I went to see them do a headline show as well because they were really, really good. Um, it was tri like. Tripalium and Clone. Tripalium. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a hell of a show. Uh, all right. So the Jägermeister show with uh, Ghost. Mm -hmm. um, Ghost feed the rhino and the defiled i believe yes that was yep. it that yes that was all the bands wasn't it so this is like yep. a weird kind of thing that jägermeister did for a couple of years where they'd get an incredible bill together and the tickets would be five pounds which mm -hmm. was just ridiculous um and it's one of the best five pounds i've ever spent on live music it was I, think. Good, wasn't it? I think the only yeah. five pounds i can think of which was better well spent better well spent uh when metallica released death magnetic they did a show for fan club members and the tickets were priced at five pounds and i went to that and that was probably the best five pounds i've ever spent live music on but this is probably the second best uh and it is primarily down to gojira who were fucking unbelievable um mm. they were technically subheadlining, but as gojira have done several times in their career they've taken a subheadline spot and then blown the headliner out of the water um i love ghost now uh at the time i was sort of indifferent to ghost um mm. but it didn't help at all that i had just seen what i consider basically the best metal band the best live metal band on the planet right now you know half an hour beforehand and ghost just seemed I mean, Ghost is such a different proposition to Gajira, and I realise that now. But at the time, they just seemed so pedestrian and so tranquil. And so they just kind of sent me to sleep a little bit, you know, after Gajira. I mean, it was... So thinking back to that show, I remember getting in there very, very early because obviously I wanted yeah. to see Feed the Rhino. Yeah, same. You know, 
playing Brixton Academy and an atrocious sound atrocious. when they gave it a right. Mm-hmm. A pretty good go. They really and went for it. And they really went for it. And the Defiled had a bit of a better sound. I mean, the Defiled are not, I don't think, were a band who had many great songs. I think they got a couple of pretty good songs. But they were an, an engaging live band, the Defiled, weren't they? They were an interesting thing to look at. They sounded big. Um, and then you've got Gajira. And, it's be- and, and then you had Ghost, who, like you say, were very, very different from everyone else on the bill. And it became a kind of pretty notorious thing of like, oh, Gajira just headlined Brixton Academy because half the people left after they played. It was a weird, you know, you saw people just kind of nodding off a bit during Ghost and you saw people. Yeah. I mean, I have, to, I have to be completely honest. I kind of vanished halfway through Ghost set because I was just like, there's no point, is there? There's no point I, sort of sticking around for this. I didn't, but the only reason I didn't is because my girlfriend was of the time was really enjoying Ghost Set, but I probably would have left halfway through. I mean, this was before they... I think they just released Infesticium, hadn't they? Yeah. So, yeah, which I didn't really get at the time, to be honest. I didn't uh, really get that album. I didn't really get Ghost until Meliora, to be totally mm. honest with you. So I, I, like the, I mean, I, I like the first album, but I, I didn't get the second album at all for yeah. ages. I, I wasn't going in as a fan in the way that I was going in as a fan of Kajira. I was going in as someone who was curious because I kept hearing about this band and I thought they were fine. But mm. to this day, I mean, now I've seen Ghost, I don't know, eight times live, quite, quite, quite a lot. Uh, mm. And it's probably the worst Ghost performance I've ever seen, I think, at Brixton Academy. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I would tend to agree, to be honest, although I didn't see the whole thing. But Gajira were just fucking staggering that night, weren't they? They looked like headliners, and they probably weren't really big enough to be headliners at that point, even though because of how good they were, I just felt like, oh, yeah, sure, they can make the jump up to Brixton, and they did. You think, really, you're looking at another, what? uh, So that would have been the end of 2012, right? Yeah, so you're looking at another seven years before they really got to headline that that venue properly yeah um i think um i mean looking back on it now i've never really made this link um link uh, but um it's very reminiscent of when gajira played subheadlined macedon at at bloodstock you know just in terms of like Mm. they really should like yes they're not really in a position where they can headline in terms of tickets sold but in terms of performance they are absolutely a headline band right now, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. They, they had been for years. Um, yeah. In mid-March, Gajira headlined Trondheim Metal Fest in Norway. The band was nominated for Album of the Year for L'Enfant Sauvage at the Revolver Golden Gods Awards at Club Nokia on the 2nd of May 2013 in downtown Los Angeles. Gajira took the Metal Hammer Golden Gods Award for Best Live Band at the O2 on the 17th of June 2013 in London. And the tour continued and the band appeared among other festivals at Hellfest, Vakken and Bloodstock. Mm. Lovely stuff. Did you go to Bloodstock? Not that year, no. Were you there? Oh, okay. I was there, yeah. Oh, okay. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I was surprised at how low down the bill they were considering they just fucking decimated Brixton Academy. And when you look at the lineup, you've got uh, Beholder opening, Dying Fetus, Three Inches of Blood, Hell, you know that mad band Hell? Yeah, I all remember all that. Up and that. Yeah. Cataclysm, Gojira, right? Um, oh. And then above them, Sabaton, who have gone on to headline the festival and play Wembley, so fair enough, although at the time I was like, ah? Hmm. Um, Avantasia, who played to 
fucking nobody like nobody seemed to give a shit about avantasia and lamb of god coming back mm. headlining so a mixed bag of a day i would say um gojira lost uh, something happened when they're on the on the way over and they lost all their equipment right so all their equipment got stalled and they didn't get to have it so there was some sort of either a delay because i remember them playing playing earlier i think they played earlier than they were meant to I don't know if someone swapped around with them, but I remember they kind of, or they played a short set or something happened. And looking at it on Setlist FM, they did play 11 songs, which for a festival set is is, is quite a lot. Mm. Um, But they didn't have their own equipment. So they basically had to borrow, beg and steal whoever was hanging around at the festival to play the show. They didn't have their own, you know, I think halfway through, you know, the front cover of Le Font Sauvage, you had that tree with the, sort of mouth coming out of it and that that lit up and halfway through somebody kind of like shuffled on and put that behind them because they didn't even they didn't even have a backdrop or anything they had nothing like they didn't have their own amps it's fucking but they were so good yeah they were so good i mean randy blythe came on and did backbone with them oh nice uh so he started with explosia the axe flying whales backbone with randy Blythe. With Randy Blythe, Love, Heaviest Matter in the Universe, Tron, Wisdom Comes, Ouroboros, Le Fon Sauvage, Toxic Garbage Island. That was their 11 wow. song set. They just fucking blasted through it without their own stuff. It sounded louder and heavier and more energetic and than anything else that played that entire weekend, I would yeah. say. I mean, you know, obviously they blew Sabaton and Aventasia off the stage, but it's quite a different thing. But when you're making Lamb of God look kind of paper thin and weedy and you don't even have your own equipment i think that was the point where i was like i think because i thought you know i think like we'll get into this in part two i kind of looked at gajira and i went they're great but and they're really great but are people really gonna sort of go towards that band because they're very heavy and they're very difficult and they're quite an oddity of a band um it was this was the point where i was like my God, if they play this right, they could do something really, really fucking amazing because they've just stolen the weekend at this festival and they don't even have their own guitars. Yeah. It's fucking madness. So, yeah, that was kind of the last time I saw Gojira before, guess what we're about to go on to, but they were, they left such an incredible impression and they had no right to no right to at all i think yeah i think it was these those last couple of years between the coco show and that bloodstock show where gujira kind of cemented their reputation in my head as the best live metal band in the world right now more or less and that hasn't been shaken once since i've pretty much i've more or less been saying that since around 2012 2013 and there hasn't really been a contender to come through since. In terms of metal bands, I can't think of any, really. Um, they're no. just astonishing. And for me, you know, this particular record and the reason why I consider L'Enfant Sauvage to be Kajira's best album is because it feels like the conclusion, it feels like the ultimate expression of what Gajira were trying to do at this point in their career. Mm. And I don't, looking back on it now, I don't know really how they could have made it better. 
I mean, when we went through the tracks for the record, there wasn't a single one where we were like, ah, it's a bit of a weak moment here or anything like mm. that. There isn't a single weak moment on this record. It's fucking brilliant from beginning to end. And yeah, it has this sort of consistent, loose theme, which really ties it all together. The dynamics of it, I think it's one of the most dynamic records in Gajira's catalogue. I think the only one that can really give it a run for its money is the next one, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, you know, I think it's really, really, really dynamic. Um, and I think the ultimate expression of what they were trying to do at this point was essentially become a technically accomplished death metal band that also left enough room to have these more exploratory, progressive rock wanderings almost and they could wander off into that territory without ever getting boring in fact when they did wander into that territory it felt absolutely essential to the song it didn't feel any less essential than the next mm. neck snapping back breaking riff or the next ridiculously out of this mind out of this world drum fill that mario de Plontio just exorcises out of his body you know Essentially, they were going for death meets tool. And yeah. and that is really fucking exciting. Like, even on paper, I go, oh, wow, death meets tool. That sounds really good. And then I go, fuck, we've got a band who do that. Gajira. Gajira do that. That is really fucking good. And they do it to such an incredible standard. And yet I don't ever think about that Gajira. I don't ever think about that death meets tool thing because Gajira sound like Gajira. They don't sound like death yeah. meets tool. They sound like Gajira. And mm. L'Enfant Sauvage feels like the ultimate statement that could be made in that style. And I think mm. it says a lot that for Magma, um, it was probably the largest stylistic change from one record to the next of Gajira's career. I think that's fairly fair to say. And as I've kind of <laughs> already hypothesized earlier on in this podcast, I think the reason for that is because when you have an album like L'Enfant Sauvage, where do you go from there? Like, how do you make how do you make that album better? I'm not sure if it's possible. I I, I think it, it I think it is the ultimate expression of that style. I think it's so perfectly placed, whether as an album as a whole or even when taking into uh, uh, into account individual songs. I mean, Explosia, as I was talking about before, the way that that song explodes and builds, but doesn't they they show restraint they don't go to the highest level that they can because they know that if they hold off the rest of the album will benefit from them holding off and just having the maturity to realize those things and explore those things i think for me is one of the key things that makes l'enfant sauvage the best moment in Gajira's back catalogue um, I love the way that on those songs they can take this left turn into something that you just don't don't predict is going to happen and it just makes the whole so much better that outro riff the, the, the that clean resonant guitar riff that rings out around the the rhythm and the bass and the pulverizing drums at the end of Explosive it's just one example of dozens on this record where you go that choice that you made there has made this a better record like this is this is better because of that choice that you made the title tracks riff repeating that building tension and then when it finally does snap it does so in an absolutely 
cataclysmic and fervent fervent way that i described as basically the ultimate thing in metal music i mean that is the ultimate high in metal music that riff and that build to that riff it doesn't get better of that the timing of that implosion is expertly precise and they have that clockwork mechanism and, and kind of timing in the sugar sense but they also managed to marry it with emotion like real human mm. emotion and that is mm. a I, I can't there are not many bands who can do that that is to be that precise and yet be that emotional at the same time and have so many twists and turns in the songs and yet still keep still keep it all cohesive it's just a phenomenal record i'm not sure for me i'm not sure if they will ever better it but that's okay to be honest because spoiler alert the stuff that they're doing now is fucking great <laughs> you know mm -hmm. it's really good um but for me i think l'enfant sauvage is and probably will remain the ultimate gajira statement yeah i mean this is really i guess technically speaking and you like to use the word uh i've forgotten the word now that you like to use but you use it all the time objectively uh, objectively <laughs> yeah i don't know why that popped out of my head but this is the most objectively i guess the most accomplished gajira album and when someone says to me the word Gojira, the sound in my head sounds like Le Fon Sauvage. And I think that probably says quite a lot about how, how well they nailed what they are. You know, eco metal, right? It's an idea that I think it's kind of been around for a long time. I mean, you know, Black Sabbath channeled the elements, didn't they? Yeah. You yeah. know, metal's not, this is not really a, uh, a new idea but there's something that is truly different at play about Gojira here and we haven't gone into the band's background and what their kind of upbringing and you know where they were from played into that because I think we'll have to do that on another classic album special another day but there's like you sort of rightly said there's a difference between a band like Mastodon deciding that something has happened in their life and they will make an they will make a decision to create an allegorical concept album based on the things they are feeling and then ride that out and Kajira's decision to kind of just embody the natural world through the prism of sort of extreme metal it's I was going to say it's a, a bold idea but because of the way that they they work and because of the way they feel I don't even feel like it's an idea I think it's just a genuine case of four people channeling themselves into the music and the art that inspired them. And Le Fon Sauvage is that kind of refined to, you know, shaped and sharpened to perfection. Uh, they're one of the most, you know, clearly the most definitive band in metal. I think right now they're they're peerless. And I think this is the moment, like you rightly say, when Gojira go from being a very, very good, quite unique sounding metal band into a band that people would look at and go, this is maybe as good as our genre gets right now. In a decade where... I think metal has had some fucking phenomenal highs, but 
when you look back at the 2010s in metal in comparison with the 80s or the 90s or even the 70s you know there's not as many names that immediately jump out at you in this decade with such regularity as there would be during that time period when you say the 90s and you say corn and pantera and you know type of negative and fear factory machine head and blah 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 and we can go into you know all of those bands the deftones whatever in the 80s metallica and maiden and judas priest and motorhead and all that kind of you know you can you do that and they reel off the tongue when you go into the 2010s you really do just go well gajira mm -hmm. i think um and that says and that and, and this is you know it's kind of a culmination and a starting point it is uh as stephen hill from metal hammer said an amazing bridge between gajira's past and future <laughs> and who would have known that he'd have got it so right back on i'm gonna actually find the date of that it's, particular piece it's impossible to argue with him i mean i mean yeah. it's just i mean it so is. prophetic and the it, jesus so prophetic age. back on the 3rd of june 2020 <laughs> when he wrote that um <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's a fucking incredible record and it makes for a really brilliant ying to the yang that we're going to be talking about in part two which is that but something very very different and that's the beauty of of music isn't it is being able to go like wow aren't these two quite polar opposites both really sublime and brilliant in their own unique way so that's where we're going next over on our patreon page patreon.com forward slash right act podcast you sign up for the five pound a month tier i'm waiting for you over there should be the second part of this two-part exploration into gojira magma which i have picked um there's a load of other things over there as well i think i mentioned a bunch of them at the start i'll try and reel them off again foo fighters pixies pink floyd the beatles guns and roses weezer blur shiga ross nick cave and the, um loads 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 of other classic albums that we've done from many many years of listening is it years it hasn't even been a year that we've been doing it yet but it's been a while it's, it's been, been about a, a year isn't it yeah it's been about that it's been about a year of doing these so you've got about a year's worth if you're going to sign up now thanks very much for listening and uh we'll see you over on our patreon page cheers <laughs>